not fear the one and only Tucker Carlson. He's here, right here, right now. Buck up, it's going to get better. Hello, welcome to Tuckered Out. I'm Troy. I'm Tyler. And this is a podcast where we talk about disinformation elf Tucker Carlson. Disinformation elf. I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> that is disinformation elf is going to come up. It was the highlight of my week. Awesome. <laughs> um, awesome. <laughs> kind of a, I, I would describe him as impish, if not elf, elf, elvish. Yeah. Like, I feel like. I feel like elves have like an air of grace about them that Tucker Carlson does not have at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. T- Tucker Carlson is definitely like, just like a, a chaotic imp. Anyway, how you doing, Tyler? Not too bad. Uh, how about you, Trey? Doing okay. I, uh, I was not killed by a cop this week, so looking up. Yeah, it is a good day in America when you are not killed by the police. That is... <laughs> <laughs> statistically you're having an excellent day yeah um, yeah <laughs> all right yeah and we have an interesting week to go over here uh we are back in the nightly show for for a week um and uh we're not going to talk about it but something i do want to just address up front because it's it's worth cataloging um tucker two weeks ago now interviewed the president of poland might be pronouncing the first name wrong but the last name is duda andres duda um and he says the reason he interviewed Duda was because when he was talking to Viktor Orban, Orban mentioned Poland as another as another country that was doing uh, nationalism right. And so Tucker decided he would talk to this Polish president. So they had a nice 15-minute interview. The interview itself wasn't all that interesting. Um, Duda just talked about how, like, the family is the foundation of everything, and they Poland has made the decision to protect their their native-born families against foreign invasion. And Tucker tried getting him to, like, shit on America, but he wasn't really biting. Um, so, and, and, and that's worth cataloging just because it's another example of Tucker cozying up to an authoritarian neo-fascist leader. So, yeah, that, that's the thing that happened. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Tucker. So then uh, the, the main thing that we're talking about today is we're going to be looking at the nightly show on October 4th through 6th. I do also have the opening monologue from September 27th because that kind of ties into Tucker's narrative on the 6th as well. So we're going to start there. Um, and to open with, Tucker has a, a, a doozy of a question. Is God dead? That's the question that Time Magazine famously asked way back in 1966 when Time Magazine mattered. The answer then and now is no, God is not dead. But a lot of the people who believed in him are dead, turns out. So we're we're starting off the week heavy. Uh, Is God dead, Tyler? (laughs) Oh, I mean, yeah, probably. I mean, he'd be real old by now, if not. What God would allow Tucker Carlson to be the most watched cable news show? (laughs) Yeah, so um, he asks a question that immediately answers it. Of course, God is not dead, but a lot of people who believe in him are dead. And he's going to elaborate on that a little bit here. He must have seen the movie. Not so long ago, this was an enthusiastically Christian country. As recently as 2009, 
77% of Americans told pollsters they consider themselves to be believing Christians. Then in just 10 years over the course of the Obama administration, that number dropped by 12 points. Over the same period, the number of atheists and self-identified non-religious people in America dropped dramatically. And that was before COVID. Politicians used the pandemic across the country to close thousands of churches and throw Christians in prison for practicing their faith. Here was the scene, for example, last fall in Idaho, police arresting a congregation for singing hymns outdoors. So he he throws out uh, that religiosity in the United States declined over the course of the Obama administration as though that correlates. Yeah. That survey that found that um, the number of people who identified as believing Christians had dropped 12 points was conducted in 2019. So it could also be the case that people uh, stopped believing in God after Trump got elected, if you want to play that game, Tucker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he, he placed this video of congregants singing hymns outside of the, in a church parking lot being arrested. That, that video is from September of 2020, so it's over a year old, and Tucker is just now complaining about it. Um, Shows you how important it is. <laughs> but what, what, uh, what happened here is a little bit different than Tucker wants you to believe. So the, the pastor of the church, Pastor Doug Wilson, had warned attendees at the start of the event that they could be cited by police for not wearing a mask or social distancing. About 150 people attended and most left after about 30 minutes. Five people at the event were issued citations for violating the city's mask and social distancing orders. This took place in uh, Moscow, Idaho. Um, five, people were ci- five people were cited for, for disobeying um, the social distancing orders, and three of them were arrested on suspicion of resisting arrest or obstructing an officer. Um, however, none of those people were actually charged with anything. They uh, they were released pretty promptly. I do agree that resisting arrest is generally a bullshit arrest. But <laughs> yeah. Um, the city's chief of police, James Fry, said that it was the first time that Moscow police had issued citations for mask order violations. The order took effect in early July, requiring face coverings to be worn in situations where social social distancing can't be maintained with non-household members. Fry said that the department had been, quote, very lenient on enforcing the order and that officers had tried to work with groups to prevent situations like the church's mass protest. But at some point, you have to enforce, Fry said. The organizer of the the, um, hymn singing event, a guy named Ben Zorns, said that police officers calmly made, made it clear that they were going to enforce the mass quarters with arrests, but said that the arrests were not justified. So it had been clearly telegraphed to these people beforehand by two different pastors that it, it was possible they would receive citations or they, they were even warned that police might, be, might enforce these mass quarters with arrests. It's not like the people showing up at this event had no idea that this could happen to them. <laughs> Um, and nobody was charged with anything. It was three people out of 150, but five total who got citations out of, uh, like, it, it really was not that big of a deal. It, it was really kind of a showboat situation on both sides. On the church's side, it was, hey, fuck these orders. We're going to come out here and we're going to sing hymns. And for the police, it was like, all right, we'll cite five of you. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's so strange to think about September 2020 still being, like the height of a pandemic and now and now it's october 2021 and we're still 
yeah are still in it <laughs> yeah it like in no small part because of people like this who like fuck this i'm gonna go sing in a parking lot <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't know i just i don't know where the last year and a half has gone and i'm being reminded <laughs> yeah it's 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 exhausting man it's yes it is holy holy cow um T- tucker has a bit different interpretation of the events that played out in that video socially distanced him singing outside so what exactly was these people's crimes that tape will be studied by future generations of historians to try and figure out what was going on what did these people do wrong well they publicly affirmed their belief in a power higher than government not allowed so yeah um they were arrested because they affirmed their belief in a power higher than government not because they were warned ahead of time that that might happen <laughs> if they violated social distancing orders. Yeah. But the, this is, this allows Tucker to springboard into what's going to be a big narrative for, for the, for the next couple of days. And that's the cult of Corona. Oh boy. Fewer and fewer Americans do that or even think to, but that does not mean, and this is the critical point that does not mean this has become a secular country. There are no secular countries, just as there are no secular people. Everybody believes in something. All of us are born with the need to worship. The question is what? So no, America has not lost its religion. It's just replaced its religion. What's dying is the faith that created Western civilization, Christianity. In its place is a new creed. And like all religions, it has its own sacraments, its own sacred texts. It's the cult of coronavirus. People who don't believe what I believe don't exist. (laughs) What? Yeah, there are no secular people. Uh, He's talked about this before. He thinks that he thinks that people have like an innate genetic drive to worship. And so if you refuse like if you refuse Christianity, you're still going to worship something because it's impossible not to. Um, and and if you were talking to me and I said hello, I've been an atheist since I was eleven. I'm just delusional. I mean, y- you worship something, Tyler. Maybe it's I don't know, like cat boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I've heard. I think I've heard Christian apologists make the argument that like atheists worship evolution in the same way that Christians worship the Bible, and it's like that's not how that works yeah see the thing about that is that if uh if evidence came that contradicted the theory of evolution and (laughs) scientists agreed that that evidence um passed muster then i would i would change my beliefs Uh, me too no way (laughs) crazy how that works this next bit um Tucker wants to talk about he he he's going to identify some of the priests of this new cult of Corona. Kathy Hochul is one of the high priestesses of this new faith. She's the governor of New York. Now, no one voted for her as governor, and that seems odd for a politician. But it's typical for a faith leader. No one voted for Jim Jones either. Yesterday, Kathy Hochul held her first service as the leader of the New York Diocese of the Corona cult. Around her neck, she wore not a cross. That's yesterday's symbol but instead a vaccination necklace. 
That necklace signified to the faithful gathered that Hochul has ascended to the select priesthood of those who have taken full intravenous communion. Listen to Bishop Hochul preach. And I wear my vaccinated necklace all the time to say, I'm vaccinated, all of you. Yes, I know you're vaccinated. You're the smart ones, but you know there's people out there who aren't listening to God and what God wants. You know this. You know who they are. I need you to be my apostles. I need you to go out and talk about it and say, we owe this to each other. We love each other. Jesus taught us to love one another. And how do you show that love? But to care about each other enough to say, please get vaccinated because I love you. I want you to live. He's got this clip of Kathy Hochul. He says it's weird that no one voted for her, which she the reason she's currently acting governor of New York is because Andrew Cuomo resigned and she was the lieutenant governor. So he's just kind of like banking on his audience again, not understanding how civics works to think that there's something terribly unfair going on here. Yeah. So they kind of did, because like when you vote someone and you agree that it's like for president, when you vote someone in for president, you agree that their vice president takes over when if they're incapacitated. Yeah. And I feel like this is the same deal. <laughs> pretty, uh, pretty brazen of Tucker Carlson to call people like Democrats the Corona cult when Tucker Carlson is the demagogue of the party of you should go out and die so that the economy doesn't crash. Yeah. <laughs> It, the clip he plays, Kathy Hochul, she's speaking during a service at the Christian Cultural Center in Brooklyn. Um, Tucker conveniently leaves out that she's at a church to make this speech seem weird. She talks about how God would want you to get the vaccine and uh, tells the people listening that she needs them to be her apostles and encourage other people in their lives to get the vaccine. Um, the full quote that Tucker cuts out a part of, she says, We are not through this pandemic. I wished we were, but I prayed a lot to God during this time. And you know what? God did answer our prayers. He made the smartest men and women, the scientists, the doctors, the researchers. He made them come up with a vaccine. That is from God to us. And we must say, thank you, God. Thank you. And I wear my vaccinated necklace all the time to say I'm vaccinated. All of you. Yes, I know you're vaccinated. You're the smart ones. But you know, there's people out there who aren't listening to God and what God wants. You know who they are. I need you to be my apostles. I need, to go, I need you to go out and talk about it and say, we owe this to each other. We love each other. Jesus taught us to love one another. And how do you show that love but to care about each other enough to say, please get the vaccine because I love you and I want you to live. I want our kids to be safe when they're in schools. I want to be safe when you go to the doctor's office or to a hospital and are treated by somebody. You don't want to get the virus from them. So, I, I mean, I, I don't like that. I don't. Like I, I would rather elected leaders didn't, you know, talk that talk that way. But it's America. What are you going to do? Um, yeah. But Tucker is pretending that this is just like a campaign speech and ignoring the fact that she was speaking during a service at a church to make it seem weirder than it is. Like this, this kind of this wasn't out of place in the environment that she was speaking in. And what's more, Tucker is using this as like. She's she's a high priest of this cult of the coronavirus, and he's arguing that this is this kind of fanatical belief has supplanted Christianity in mainstream culture. But this this speech is dripping in Christianity. Yeah, she, she's attributing the the vaccine to the Judeo Christian God. Yeah. 
so Tucker's argument falls flat on its face here just on the merits of this clip that he played. So then now that Tucker has effectively disproved his own point, <laughs> he's going to continue talking about how creepy this all is. How do you show your love to one another? The old way was to visit people, say, in the hospital as they died. That's no longer allowed. The new way to show your love is to get the vaccine. God himself wants you to take the vaccine. I need you to be my apostles, Hokel thundered. No one comes to the Father except through the shot. Sinners in the hands of an angry healthcare worker. At the pulpit, Kathy Hokel, not super bright as you may have noticed, seemed suddenly transformed, a transfiguration, if you will. Standing there, she wasn't merely a mediocre, unelected governor of a dying state with bad weather. No. Hokel was the vaccine messiah, preaching the undying word of St. Anthony Fauci. Can I get an amen, ladies and gentlemen? So the the whole week he's like this. He's especially fucking smug and smarmy this week. Great. Looking forward to it. Can't wait. <laughs> so excited. He puts up this picture of, um, of Fauci photoshopped into all this religious garb. And it says, uh, the patron saint of Wuhan. This is, this is so stupid. Now, it may sound unlikely to those of you used to the older faiths, but many are joining this new church. And for $39 right now on Amazon, you too can buy a sterling silver necklace that declares that you have been vaccinated. Literally declares it. Just spells out in cursive, vaccinated. There's no mistaking what an incredibly good person you are. Everyone will see it. You can also buy vaccination bracelets and vaccination pins and vaccination earrings vaccination shirts, vaccination socks. It's all at Kathy Hochul's church gift shop. Go there today. And while you're shopping, be certain to pick up a Tony Fauci prayer candle. In fact, get two. All good, decent people have more than one. For just 15 bucks on Etsy, you can buy a patron saint of staying home prayer candle. That's a real thing. We read the reviews today. Here's one of them. Love it! Exclamation point. I think I may have to set up a little altar to place it on. Another exclamation point. There's a new convert. Here's another review from a woman called Kelly Hannon. Quote, I put this in my office. I work in public health, and this makes me smile every time I look at it. Of course it makes you smile, Kathy Hannon. Virtue is its own reward. Oko wasn't selling it. No. She, she had a necklace, and Tucker takes that she owns a necklace and then assumes that she is trying to sell all of these things. Yeah, this is this is just incredibly dumb. And like, this is one of those examples where like, th- there's a certain kind of like lifestyle liberal that makes my job harder when p- people are buying these fucking Anthony Fauci prayer candles, which they're, they're like twenty two dollars on Etsy. It's oh my god. $22 for a candle? Yeah, you can also get them on Amazon for about $18. Um, and I, I read some of the reviews. Apparently, they don't smell very good. <laughs> but it's just, it's very stupid. But like, this is just like market forces. This is people seeing an opportunity for like, Oh, I bet I can sell some vaccine merch and make money off of this. Like that—that's all it is. <laughs> yeah, this this is capitalism. This is this is Tucker's preferred system. 
He's only about half done rattling off all the products that he's mad about. Oh, boy. <laughs> now, for those still making the tough transition from a traditional Western religion, a religion about God, to this new religion, which is not about God, it's really about you and only you and more of you and you, 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 you can pick up this mass nativity scene online. It looks conventional, but look closely. It features Mary, Joseph, and the baby Jesus all with their faces covered, as they should be even in a manger. They're masked, just like you are. In this religion of narcissism, the holiest figures look exactly like you do. That's the point. We'll reach back 2,000 years and change the appearance of historical figures to look exactly like the people in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. That's what this religion is about. So I have some bad news for Tucker about white Jesus. <laughs> also, like, if Jesus were around, I can't imagine, if he were around right now, I cannot imagine that he would be in favor of not taking any precautions about spreading a deadly disease. Yeah, you know, you know, you know that famous line attributed to Jesus stuff, thy neighbor can get fucked. Yeah, that one. That's the one. <laughs> yeah, so then um, the rest of this is pretty uh, Fauci-centric. He, he, he's he got a bug up his butt about Dr. Fauci again. And speaking of babies, <sighs> you want to celebrate your okay. children's baptism by Vax by purchasing a sacred text to memorialize this moment. We recommend this age-appropriate Tony Fauci coloring book. This book promises, quote, hand-illustrated coloring pages starring your quarantine dreamboat. Not surprisingly, the reviews online are glowing. Everyone loves it, with one exception. Of course, there's always an apostate, the kind of person burning stakes were created for. Here's what that nasty non-believer said in the snarkiest possible way. Quote, there's a section at the back of the book where kids color numerous pages solid black to help Dr. Fauci cover up his involvement in the pandemic. Yeah, guess we know who to report to the religious police. For the rest of us, though, there are Tony Fauci pins, Tony Fauci mugs, Tony Fauci Christmas ornaments. There's a cornucopia of Fauciana. It's all part of the practice of this young but growing faith. Soon, the especially devout will set out on pilgrimages to Wuhan, China, where the very first miracle of pangolin to human transmission occurred. Some believe a visit to the wet market will heal them. And who are we to say that it won't? So, like Troy was saying, I don't think either of us are defending Fauci candles. Yeah, I, I, I find that very dumb, but I mean, like, if, if you want one, fine, whatever. <laughs> yeah, like, it's not like a, it's not like a crisis. And also, it's, it's a product of the system for which Tucker Carlson advocates. He's literally just reading Amazon reviews for like coloring books and shit. Like this. What is the show? <laughs> This is incredibly dumb. Like, the show is dumb. <laughs> You're not going to hear Joe Biden doubting this new religion. Joe Biden is its chief of possible. He knows that the kingdom of Krona can exist right here on Earth and that it will endure forever. But first, everyone must convert. Every last person. This is an evangelical faith. It will be spread by the sword if necessary. Here was Joe Biden today. Three Americans seem to be vaccinated first to go back to normal. Like, what is the percentage of total vaccinations that have 
think, look, I think we get the vast majority of what is going on in some of the, some industries and some schools, 97, 98%. I think we're going awful close. And, uh, but I'm not the scientist. Uh, uh, I think, but one thing for sure, a quarter of the country can't go unvaccinated and us not continue to have a problem. There he is getting another shot, another. Why not? It's not just once a year. No, not for the devout. Some people take communion every day. Joe Biden would like to see everybody on board with this program. Everyone believing wholeheartedly in this new faith. He has called for 98% of the United States of America to convert, to get those shots. One, two, three, maybe every Sunday. Man, Tucker really has to stretch to try to make Joe Biden look like an evil dictator. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know how the CDC is recommending daily COVID shots? What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, and like Joe Biden is just such a like gentle person. He's like very, very specifically not saying anything inflammatory. He's just like, we really need to help people not be sick. <laughs> and Tucker's like, look at this evil bastard. <laughs> like, you're the crazy one here, Tucker. <laughs> yeah, just, this, this, like this whole thing is absurd. This is like, you have to live within this echo chamber. It's not you, Tucker. It's just like a, a lunatic right now, you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. If, if you have outside tethers to reality, then you have to be like, what are you talking about? Yeah, that's a lot. That's a big percentage of people for context. According to the CDC, and we looked it up today, just 92% of American two-year-olds are vaccinated against polio. And some say polio is almost as bad as corona. But here's the difference. Fighting polio was never a religion. It was just science. There are reasons why we might need a higher, a higher threshold um, to get herd immunity against the coronavirus versus polio, the main one being polio was not currently spreading in large numbers. Uh-huh. When nobody has polio, you need a, lo- a much lower base rate to prevent the spread of polio. <laughs> and then different diseases have like different different base rates. It's related to how infectious they are. Like we talked about measles needs, I believe, 85% vaccination rates to provide uh, community protection. So in, in circumstances where um, where COVID weren't virently spreading across masses false population, a number like that might be sufficient for the community protection. With the situation we're in right now, really, like you you can't have too many people vaccinated. Yeah, um, and isn't he kind of letting the mask slip here by saying that oh, the polio vaccine was science. And the COVID one isn't like the same processes. Yeah. The same processes by which we like determine the efficacy of vaccines are in place for the COVID vaccine (laughs) as there were for polio, if not, if not better now. So like, what are you talking about Tucker? Why is this one not science just because you say so? Yeah. he, He goes on to talk about how the guy who invented the polio vaccine didn't think to start a cult. And it's like, you don't know the names of the people who invented the, the coronavirus vaccine, Tucker. So they didn't start yeah. a cult either. <laughs> Talk about um, rejection. 
yeah, there's a lot of projection in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) I think I have a clip labeled projection at some point. (laughs) But yeah, he he talks about polio a bit more, and then he brings on Candace Owens. My Um, favorite person. It's just interesting, though. This is the party that lectured us for, for decades about science, believe the science. And here you have this low IQ shaman telling you that you have to get the shot because God wants you to. That sounds a lot like superstition, no? Uh, I mean, it does sound like superstition, but also if you want to be superstitious, can you explain to me, Tucker, can somebody explain to me how right now in New York we're being told that just the unvaccinated are in the hospital, but also they have to let go of 70,000 unvaccinated healthcare employees because apparently the unvaccinated are a risk to the unvaccinated. I mean, I can't figure any of this stuff out, but you're not supposed to understand a cult. You just do what they say. That's exactly right. And somehow you just, if I could, I probably shouldn't even say this, but the last governor of New York was horrible. He's just a, a bad person, I would say. But you knew they were going to get someone worse. I mean, Cuomo, for all his many manifold faults, you cannot imagine him telling you that God demands you get the vax. I think he would choke on those words. Maybe he would say it. Honestly, I hate to say this, but I found that sermon to be even creepier than Governor Cuomo was. Like, it's just, it's incredibly creepy <laughs> to invoke God and to pretend that you've had some awakening and that Christ is going through you and telling you to get the vaccine. Yeah, Christ wants you to make Pfizer a few more billion dollars and then you can be converted. Exactly. And when they fire his brother from CNN, he'll be replaced by somebody worse. You watch, I see a theme here. <laughs> Candace Owens, great to see you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, Candace, defending sex offenders? Uh, pretty cringe. Pretty cringe. Um, <laughs> yeah. Alleged yeah, sex offenders. It, it just... And they're talking about how it's so creepy here that Kathy Hochul invoked God. Like, these are the same people who supported, you know, fucking Roy Moore. Uh, yeah. Or really, name a Republican. Any Republican has invoked yeah. a God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah like I, I was called i was called to do this like why is it only creepy when it's about a vaccine and not about banning abortion or giving more money to Halliburton? yeah and then that first tirade she went on i i don't understand the point she was trying to make she said most of the people in the hospital with COVID are unvaccinated and they're kicking out hospital workers who are unvaccinated that's not that's not a contradiction what yeah, what's yeah, the no. problem like she she said that as though it doesn't make any sense that the vaccinated pose a threat or the the unvaccinated pose a threat to the vaccinated like that makes perfect sense yeah what are you talking about of course they do <laughs> yeah so that was really confusing like usually i don't know usually candace's points aren't that bad but they're <laughs> they're never good but like they're usually not that bad yeah that was weak i I, I think what happened there is that they're so used to making these arguments. Like, why do you care if I'm unvaccinated? If you're vaccinated, if you have the vaccine, how can I pose a threat to you? And like, they, they play that game all the time. So like, I think they got so used to the general groove, groove of that argument that she, she felt like she could just slip into it there, even though it didn't make sense in the context. And she's like, didn't notice because she's on autopilot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just has to say words as fast as possible. And it doesn't matter how stupid they're. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really creepy when you invoke God about a vaccine, and but it's just fine when you invoke God about bombing foreign countries or actual pedophilia. <laughs> actual or, pedophilia. Roy Moore. <laughs> yeah. 
so that that's the end of the monologue from the the 27th and now we're going to get into october 4th Roy, not to get stuck or anything but i was really enjoying my life not thinking about roy moore up until now and now you've reminded <laughs> me that he exists <laughs> i uh, if i remember it i think his wife is running now uh, a woman married that man is she I, I, 17 i think she might have been way younger than him i don't know that for <laughs> sure but i feel like i heard that it's been let me do a quick google okay so roy moore is 74 okay so she's 14 years younger than him so depending on when they got married that may or may not be creepy I don't I don't care enough to look into that. <laughs> Wait, no, no. She she's like 40 years younger than him. She she was born in 85 and he was born in 47. Unless I'm looking at the wrong Roy Moore. <laughs> so what I have here is Taylor Moore born in 1961. Wait, what? Oh, they were married in 85? Yeah, they were married in 85. That okay. is a different n- date. <laughs> I'm just an idiot. <laughs> okay, no, you're right. Sorry, my bad. This has been How Creepy Is Roy Moore, our most relevant segment. Um. (laughs) Less creepy than I thought, still pretty creepy. And that concludes How Creepy Is Roy Moore. Um, So then this gets us to Monday, October 4th. Um, You know how there's a war on Christmas, Tyler? You know how that's a real thing? (laughs) (laughs) As real as Santa Claus, am I right? (laughs) Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson saying happy Monday. Life is amazing, is it not? If you'd asked Anthony Fauci 60 years ago when he was a student at Holy Cross in Massachusetts, whether he would grow up to single-handedly control how Christians celebrate their most beloved holiday, Fauci probably would have assumed you were high, smoking that tea with the beatniks in Greenwich Village, reefer madness. He would have been confused. At the time, Fauci was studying to become a doctor, not the pope. And there was a difference then. Little could he have known back in 1958 that public health would become America's reigning religion and he its high priest. But life is like that. You never know where you're going to end up. Fast forward to the beginning of last December. Anthony Fauci was 79 years old. His 80th birthday, it turns out, was Christmas Eve. And Fauci was determined to celebrate it with an exhibition of authority flexing that had no precedent in the entire history of the federal bureaucracy. No one had ever done it before, but Fauci did. He decided to unilaterally end Christmas. And so one day on NBC News, he did just that. And that's why we have to put on the best talent show this town's ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I don't even need to hear what Fauci actually did to know that this is total bullshit. Yeah, here's what he actually said. A warning and a plea from Dr. Anthony Fauci. Should people now cancel their travel plans for Christmas? To the extent possible, don't travel, don't congregate together. There was, do not travel for Christmas, Anthony Fauci said. Do not congregate together to celebrate it. That means no Christmas Eve in church. That means no Christmas morning under the tree with your family tearing through stockings. It means no Christmas at all. Sacred Christian observance canceled until further notice from Dr. Anthony S. Fauci, M.D. What a thrill it must have been for him to say something like that. Here's a guy who fully expected to spend his life giving prostate exams, and there he was declaring the ancient Christian calendar null and void. Pretty amazing. Jesus Christ, Tucker. Holy shit, dude. 
He's just saying, if you don't want to get sick, this is the best thing you can do. Tucker can run so far with so little. Like, he, he said he recommended not congregating for Christmas. And Tucker's like, he just cleared the calendar null and void. Seriously, like, my God. I don't know how you take this seriously. I am. Um, there's this, I, I think it was a Politico article, maybe um floating recently where like somebody had talked to some tucker carlson fans about how they how they think about tucker carlson and somebody said that they thought of him as like a a conservative john stewart so i'm always wondering so when he does shit like this i'm like are people laughing is is this is this like a funny cheeky observational style of comedy for them like what well what do those people think john stewart is that's a good do they, point. <laughs> do they think that John Stewart's a comedian or do they think that he's like a crazy leftist? I don't know. I'm just, I'm trying to get into the headspace of somebody watching this and not thinking like it, it, you're a fucking crazy person. <laughs> yeah. Um, my mom has told me that she has coworkers who like Tucker Carlson because he quote speaks the truth. <laughs> and I, and I, I always, tell my mom it's like you know that gives me a lot of insight as to what your coworkers think about brown people <laughs> <laughs> oh man um yeah and then we, we get more fauci consumerism complaints here oh boy but even more amazing was the reaction that fauci received when he said it the people in charge loved it they never cared much for christmas anyway all that religious talk and unsupervised family time it faintly seemed like a threat Anthony Fauci, by contrast, was no threat at all to the people in charge. He worked for them. His job was to do their bidding, to confirm their biases, and to never, ever challenge their sense of their own moral superiority. Their job in return was to love him for it, and they did. Drive through affluent neighborhoods in Washington, D.C. to this day, and you will see the signs in people's front yards. Honk for Dr. Fauci. In Dr. Fauci, we trust. And above all, Thank you, Tony Fauci. Granted, I don't spend a lot of time in affluent neighborhoods, but nor do I. I, I have never once seen a Dr. Fauci yard sign. <laughs> Neither have I. If I if I take Tucker at his word here, those signs seem like jokes making fun of ultra religious people to me. I can see that. Yeah. Like even just like, you know, people put those like hate has no home here signs out or like we believe in science and shit like that yeah it, it, pe- people like to just kind of signal things about themselves like so putting on a thank you dr fauci sign says something about like hey i take covid seriously and i'm pro vaccination and yeah true people do that kind of thing i don't personally get it but like it, it, it's something a lot of people enjoy doing so to, to the extent that those signs exist i don't think it's like uh, like so, so much like in reverence, so much as it's just signaling, like, I, I think COVID is real. <laughs> yeah, because that's not something that you can trust other people to believe anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've never been a, a fan of uh, political signage either. Um, people at our high school uh, threw rocks at my parents' car because they had an Obama sticker on it. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't need, I don't need a new sticker. I don't need, 
Yeah, I'll still see like Bernie Bernie twenty sixteen stickers and stuff. It's like, oh, oh come on, <laughs> yeah. man. Um, my neighbor still has a Trumpy Yard sign out. <sighs> Almost been a year, dog. Yeah, my favorite. So um, on the way to my wife's parents' house, there there was this house that had this huge like Trump <laughs> banner, and it was it said Trump Pence. And then I happened to be driving that way the day after the January 6th insurrection. And uh, because Pence had certified the election results, those people had taken like black spray paint and blocked out Pence's name on the banner. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, man. How do you. I know we're getting off track. How do you talk to these people? Like it's something I've been thinking about a lot. It's like I I want to be able to talk to normies, and I feel like I can't. I'm going on like my third yard sign story now, but <laughs> also at the place I used to work on the way there, um, I passed this field, and there was a a, a semi trailer like next to the road that had in big letters Trump on the, painted on the side of it, and then a couple of weeks after the election, somebody else had spray painted the word "lost" after Trump's name. And from there, somebody else spray painted liar. Um, and then they're just like slowly adding to this over the course of a couple of weeks. So like the, there was something about Obama. I couldn't quite read. They know it said Obama's name. It was just, and then oh, that's funny. Pay- yeah, it was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then uh, anyway, that clip that Tucker played was from last Christmas when I gave you my heart. And then the very next day you threw it away. But now <laughs> and I get that song stuck in my head, Troy. <laughs> it um, was October. But now what about this Christmas? And they really do want to thank him, not for funding the gain of function research in Wuhan that created COVID. No, it's bigger than that. They're thanking Dr. Fauci for the gift of life, which he alone bestows. What you're seeing here is Washington's new religion. It's Fauciism. So it shouldn't surprise you that this year, once again, our more leaders are asking Dr. Fauci the very same question. Christmas is coming. Can we celebrate it? Before we go through the hassle of booking plane tickets, renting cars, buying presents for our loved ones, preparing to celebrate the central holiday of the country's biggest religion, please let us know, Dr. Fauci, is it on or off? Have we been naughty or nice? Tell us. This year, the job of asking that question fell to an anchor at CBS News. And this Sunday, she asked Dr. Fauci. Here's what he said. But we can gather for Christmas or it's just too soon to tell? You know, Margaret, we, it's just too soon to tell. We've okay. just got to concentrating on continuing to get those numbers down and not try yeah. to jump ahead by weeks or months and say what we're going to do at a particular time. It really depends on how you behave, whether you're naughty or nice. At this point, it's just too soon to tell whether you can have Christmas this year. And in hearing that, the news lady just nods. Of course, it's all perfectly normal. We'll check back with you, Dr. Fauci. Keep doing science as only you can. And of course, that's exactly what Tony Fauci plans to do. It's what he's done with his life. I mean, once again, like Tucker is just such a fucking angry little prick. Like Fauci is just like a sweet old man. And Tucker's like, you should be furious that this old man is on the news. Doing nothing like doing nothing like that big of a deal to hear Tucker talk about this. You would think that like Fauci's edicts were imposed by law and like 
Dr. Fauci has no formal power over any of our lives. He just like makes and inf- makes recommendations based on like an informed perspective. Exactly. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't understand the anger. How dare this person recommend things that he believes to be my best interest. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's so weird. It, it's been a bit, but now we have to sprinkle a little bit of racism into the mix. All right. Last week, Fauci had to unravel this scientific puzzle. Are the hundreds of thousands of sneezing unvaccinated illegal immigrants coming into this country every month driving a spike in COVID cases? Could that be happening? Figuring that out was Anthony Fauci's job as a scientist. Fauci's scientific conclusion? Well, here it is. Are immigrants a major reason why COVID-19 is spreading in the U.S.? No, absolutely not, Dan. I mean, if you just look at the data and look at the people who've gotten infected, look at the people who are in the hospital, look at the people who've died. This is not driven by immigrants. (laughs) What? Fashionable people getting COVID? No, absolutely not, Dana. The sneezing unvaccinated migrants streaming across our southern border from around the world are absolutely fine. In fact, from a public health perspective, They're great people like BLM rioters, but very much unlike Donald Trump voters. In fact, these people may be the solution to this pandemic. If we're going to beat this COVID thing, we're going to need a few hundred thousand more people from Haiti ASAP. They know a thing or two about public health. Thanks, Dr. Fauci. What the fuck are you talking about, Tucker? Yeah, the his his imagery there, the these sneezing immigrants coming over to the border, that calls back to this idea that immigrants are unclean that has a long racist history um, yeah that there's often associated with immigrants for conservatives this idea of like contagion so that's that's consciously or unconsciously what he's targeting to here um i found an i found an interview with npr where they talked to the the medical director of the organization for physicians for human rights again named dr michael heisler a quote from heisler this is not a border issue it is not a migrant issue the places in the u.s with the highest positivity rates are not near the border or in parts of the U.S. where migrants are heading. Instead, they tend to be places with the lowest vaccination rates and where governors have opposed mask mandates. Um, so it, 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 if you're looking at the data here, the current spike in coronavirus infections is not driven by immigration in any meaningful way. Another quote from Heisler, they're just trying to divert attention from the actual measures that we need to take, you know, asking people to wear masks and socially distance and take care of themselves and their loved ones. And it's baffling to me that instead of trying to protect lives, they're trying to create a scapegoat. Now, at the same time, it is true that migrants are crossing the southern border in unusually high numbers, especially in the Rio Grande Valley in South Texas, where local officials have the influx of migrants as training social services. The city of McAllen set up an emergency encampment last week to take care of migrants who test positive for the coronavirus after they've been released from custody of federal immigration authorities. We're mirroring exactly what's going on in the rest of the country and most of the world said Dr. Ivan Melendez, the health authority in Hidalgo County, Texas, which includes McAllen. There is a risk of unvaccinated migrants spreading the virus, Melendez said. But he emphasized that they pose no more or less of a risk than anyone else who's unvaccinated. The positivity rate in the migrants that are coming in is almost exactly as the positivity rates here, Melendez said. Is this a pandemic of migrants? No, it's a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Under current uh, border policy, Migrants who are held in detention are not tested for the coronavirus unless they show symptoms. However, migrants who are processed and allowed to stay in the U.S. are are given tests, must test negative to remain in the U.S. Migrants are also tested prior to being deported. 
Um, and the reason for that is like if someone's positive, they don't want to load them onto a deportation flight and flit other and infect other people on that flight. Um, so then deportations are halted until the migrant tests negative. And also something important Tucker is leaving out here is that those Haitian migrants he's so worried about, huge numbers of them are being deported under Title 42, uh, which is the provision that allows the, the government to deport migrants who have come from a country experiencing an infectious disease. So the pretext of COVID is actually being used as a driver in a lot of deportations. So he really has nothing to be so worried about. <sighs> Yay, racism. Thanks, Tucker. Yep. Yay, racism. And boo, Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get a throwback here to some older bullshit. As Tony Fauci spoke, the CDC rolled out new guidance to match. They cautioned that people should hold, quote, virtual holiday celebrations or have socially distanced celebrations outdoors at the end of December. We're doing all this, keep in mind, for a virus with a median age of death that is higher than life expectancy in the United States and also in the United Kingdom. Let that sink in. In the state of Ohio, for example, where the life expectancy is 73, the median age of death from COVID is 79. That's just public health. So once again, this is Tucker not understanding how life expectancy works. Um, we, we talked about this in depth a couple of weeks ago, but it, essentially what he's not taking into account is that the life expectancy that he's citing for the United States and the United Kingdom is life expectancy from birth. The total life expectancy ends up being lowered by the, the tens of thousands of people who die young. So life expectancy extends outward as you age. Once you've made it to 70, your chances making it to say 95 are much better unless you get COVID, in which case your life expectancy plummets. So his narrative here is bullshit. No surprise. <laughs> and then he's really got to stick up his ass about Fauci merch. I think Tucker wishes that there is more Tucker Carlson merch. <laughs> Dude, if Tucker Carlson opened a merch store, I feel like it would work. I feel like it would make a lot of money. I mean, I got a picture. One of our uh, one of our John Stewart tier patrons recently got their first uh, Tucker Dot sticker. Cool. Uh, this is news to me. You'll have to send me that picture because I want to see it too. <laughs> and then um, th this I have in here just for fun. On MSNBC, this is what Tony Fauci worship looks like. I could watch Tony Fauci spit truth at the disinformation um, elves on Capitol Hill all day long. I love disinformation elves. <laughs> <laughs> disinformation elves. That's good. That's a good one. Like hit I us agree. up. Hit us up with the fan art. <laughs> yes, please. That'd be awesome. Maybe we need to rename the Facebook group to disinformation elves. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. <laughs> um, yeah, and then here, Fauci isn't just a call leader. He's a believer, Tyler. Oh. As Tony Fauci reminded us in June, Tony Fauci is not simply an international treasure. He's the physical embodiment of science. So if you are trying to, do, you know, get at me as a public health official and a scientist, you're really attacking not only Dr. Anthony Fauci, you're attacking science. Oh, there it was, the third person self-reference, Fidel Castro in English. But that wasn't a slip of the tongue. Fauci meant every word of it. 
Tony Fauci is himself a devout member of the church of Tony Fauci. Now take a look at this still photo from Tony Fauci's home office. Look in the back on the bookshelf. Do you see what is that right there? Those are Tony Fauci prayer candles prominently displayed inside Tony Fauci's home. Oh, well, at least he's real. Fauci isn't just the high priest of Fauciism. He's also a true believer himself. Dude, if I found out someone made merch of me, that would be awesome. And I would want one, too. Yeah, I, I guarantee that was like a gag gift. Like if 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 I found a Tyler candle, I, yeah. I would so buy you that fucking candle, you know, yeah. like it, it's just it, it's just a funny thing to have in your office because it's funny. Yeah, that it exists. <laughs> I thought he was going to go harder against the. Um, if you are attacking me, you're attacking science, but like he cares more about the candles, I guess. Yeah, he did say that Fauci was claiming to be the physical embodiment of science, which if you if you look at that whole clip in context, what he's saying is that uh, he hasn't made any public statements that aren't supported by the current science. And so, he's like the spokesperson for it. He's like employed by the White House to explain the, the science to people. Yeah. You can't convince me if there was a Tucker Carlson prayer candle, you can't convince me Tucker wouldn't have one somewhere in his house. Absolutely. 100%. And then here he brings on Senator Ron Johnson and introducing this interview, he says something just after this 20 minutes of clips you've endured for him to say this is fucking infuriating. Now, Ron Johnson, by contrast, is just a Lutheran. (laughs) He's a member of the United States Senate from Wisconsin, and we're happy to have him on tonight. Senator, thanks so much for joining us. Now, at a certain point, look, I, I... think you probably needed someone like Tony Fauci to guide the country through the, you know, a point man to explain COVID in the early months of it. But at this point, nearly two years in, you wonder why Tony Fauci has anything at all to do with our COVID policy. Do you know the answer? I think you probably needed somebody like Tony Fauci in the beginning, a point man to explain COVID to people. (sighs) So the thing that he is right now like that, it's not quite as bad as him agreeing that deep in the police made sense in that Jimmy Dore interview. Yeah. But like, just that—that that was so jarring. After th- this is this has been two monologues worth of just shitting on Fauci and there's Oh, I mean, but it makes sense. You probably need a guy like that. What does Ron Johnson know? He's not a doctor. <laughs> Ron Johnson knows zero things. Ron Johnson may be the dumbest member of the U.S. Senate. And that's saying something like listen to some of this fucking interview. I think you make a series of great points, but the first one is just kind of indelible. You've had almost 700,000 people die. Is there any evidence that any of these measures, which really have reshaped the country completely, have saved a huge number of lives? Lives? I mean, if we had just ignored it, would many more than 700,000 have died? Sincere question. I, I doubt it, but I'm sure they'll come up with the science to prove that they've saved all kinds of lives. Science has been corrupted. Our medical system has been yeah. corrupted. So before we go further, this interview, <sighs> would, would substantially more people have died had we just ignored it? Tucker asked if there's any evidence that COVID uh, mitigation measures have saved lives. And he's um, not asking this to an expert. He's asking that, it to some idiot senator. So uh, a study published in Nature in June 2020 
called The Effect of Large-Scale Anti-Contagion Policies on the COVID-19 Pandemic, looked at data from 1,700 local, regional, and national non-pharmaceutical interventions deployed to limit the spread of COVID-19 across localities in China, South Korea, Italy, Iran, France, and the United States. They found that the implementation of these measures substantially slowed the spread of COVID-19, and estimate that in total, lockdown measures averted approximately 495 million total infections. Now, that was over a year ago at this point, so you can only imagine where that number is now. Yeah. The Lancet also published a study in November that looked at the association between mobility patterns and COVID-19 transmission in the United States. Their analysis found that decreased mobility patterns strongly correlated with decreased COVID-19 case growth rates for most affected counties in the U.S., The findings of the study strongly support the role of social distancing as an effective way to mitigate COVID-19 transmission. There is also a study in the Journal of Infectious Diseases published in August of 2020, which looked at the effect of stay-at-home restrictions on the doubling time of pandemic infections. The, The doubling time is the amount of time that it takes for the number of infections to double. They found that in 45 states where stay-at-home orders were implemented, the state-level doubling time for the virus increased, meaning the implementation of these orders was effective in slowing the virus's transmission. So to answer Tucker's question, yes, there is plenty of evidence that these measures saved a lot of lives and things would have been much worse had we simply ignored it. I mean, I I shouldn't have to prove that. That should be obvious to a thinking person. But yeah. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> and then uh, here... Ron Johnson is a fucking idiot. This is so stupid. <laughs> now, I, I put a chart on the Senate floor last week that showed the pandemic was winding down before the vaccines ever had a chance to take off. Now, you'd expect on that chart that the, the pandemic would continue to wind down. It didn't. We've had this huge Delta surge. And again, the, the blunder was the fact that we completely ignored and sabotaged early treatments. There's literally a cornucopia of different drugs and a multi-drug treatment that there are hundreds of doctors that actually have the courage and compassion to treat patients. They've been saving lives. He's talking about ivermectin. I I, I didn't cut the clip at the beginning of this interview. He talked about ivermectin a lot. But now they can't even get some of these drugs because it has been so corrupted. Boy, I don't know why you're the only one saying this, but I'm grateful that you are. Senator Ron Johnson, talk about rising to the occasion. I appreciate your coming on tonight. Thanks very much. Can, can I make can I wait one more point, Tucker? Of course. It's important. These, man, these mandates are driven by the bait and switch of the FDA that we now have an approved vaccine. We do not have an approved vaccine in, in America. They did it for the Comirnaty. It's available, I guess, in Europe. But the Pfizer vaccine available in the U.S. is not FDA approved. It's got an emergency use authorization. I wrote a letter to the FDA on August 26th. They have still not given me the answer of why didn't they approve it? Why are they basically lying to the American public? That's a serious question to be asked as we're destroying our healthcare system with these mandates. At some point, we're going to learn the depth of the lies, and I think it's going to be shocking to everyone, even those of us who have a low opinion of the people making these decisions. Senator Johnson, thank you very much. Have a good night. Yes, it is. It's it's been fully approved by the FDA, the Pfizer vaccine. So I don't why. What do you get from this? This is this is shockingly dumb. So he what he said was that it was a bait and switch. The FDA didn't approve Pfizer. They approved this Corminati vaccine, whatever that is. Um, I'm going to read to you now a quote from an FDA news release from August 23rd. Today, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration approved the first COVID-19 vaccine. 
The vaccine has been known as the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine and will now be marketed as the Corminati vaccine <laughs> for the prevention of COVID-19 disease in individuals 16 years of age and older. The vaccine continues to be available under emergency use authorization, including for individuals 12 to 15 years of age and for the administration of a third dose in a certain immunocompromised individuals. So Comirnaty is the brand name that the Pfizer vaccine <laughs> is going to be marketed under now. <laughs> Uh, okay. Ron Johnson, he's like, they pulled this bait and switch. They said they approved Pfizer, but they approved this Corbinati vaccine. <laughs> I mean, it's a bait and switch in the sense that they put out bait and then switched it with the exact same bait. <laughs> <laughs> that is and then dis- <laughs> nothing else happened. That is disqualifyingly stupid. It you should be, shouldn't it? Um, so then Ron Johnson leaves us and that's the end of COVID for a minute because Tucker wants to talk about January 6th and how the people arrested for that were, have effectively become political prisoners. Um, uh, they're just crime prisoners because they committed <laughs> a crime. What do you mean? And because I'm someone who watches Tucker's show every day, I was able to pick up some threads here. This is very satisfying for me. Um, and we'll get to why at the end here. Okay. You hear endlessly about January 6th, the QAnon insurrection, but almost everything you hear about that day is general and florid. The overstatement overshadows everything. You rarely hear details about what actually happened to specific people. Here's a story you should know. Thomas Caldwell was in Washington that day. He's a former lieutenant commander in the United States Navy. A few days later, on January 19th, a SWAT team with armored vehicles showed up at his home. Officers pointed rifles in his face and took him to jail. He spent 49 days in solitary confinement. What he went through is described in a fantastic new piece by Julie Kelly in American Greatness. Initially, prosecutors accused Caldwell of plotting an attack on the Capitol, even though he never even went inside the Capitol building on January 6th. He's now in home detention awaiting trial. Lieutenant Commander Thomas Caldwell joins us tonight with his wife, Sharon Caldwell. Thank you both very much for coming on tonight. Okay, so you and I have talked about Thomas Caldwell previously on this show. Okay. Um, because Thomas Caldwell, he, he was one of, the, one of the early arrests made in connection with the Capitol riots. Um, he seems to have been associated with um, the Oath Keepers. He was associated with the Oath Keepers, which is a, a, a militant group. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so Thomas Caldwell, he, he complains about how um, a SWAT team burst into his house and having to fight this in court has almost like bankrupted them. And he's on the verge of losing his family farm. And I, I think part of this is just like they're plugging a, a GoFundMe to save their farm. Um, if you want to help Thomas Caldwell save their farm, they have a GoFundMe. <laughs> um, but here, uh, Tucker talks to his wife. You think of all the people in Congress who support what has happened to you. It's just, it's, you know, Liz Cheney ought to be ashamed. Uh, and I hope she's watching this. Mrs. Caldwell, what, what did you think when armed men took your husband away and put him in solitary confinement for 49 days? I really didn't know what to think. Uh, I, I was so shocked and surprised when the SWAT team shows up at our house. And I, you know, my husband and I went 
to D.C. on January 6th as husband and wife. I mean, we, we, we considered it an, an outing, uh, you know, a couple of days in D.C., just a husband and wife, I hate to say fun thing to do, but, you know, at that time, you know, we didn't even anticipate that there were going to be any riots or anything like that. So, you know, we just wanted to hear the president speak one last time. And then, like you said, a few days later, this, this SWAT team shows up and I, I, it's surreal. It's just absolutely surreal, this whole experience. I Okay. So here's why this is important. M- Mrs. Caldwell just confirmed that she and Thomas Caldwell were at the Capitol together. Now, mm-hmm. you, you'll remember several weeks back when Tucker introduced this narrative that the FBI staged the Capitol riot. Yes. And his, his main piece of evidence there was that if you go through the FBI's charging documents, there were several unindicted co-conspirators who went unnamed in the documents, but that they were people known to be involved in, in the riot who were not charged. And Tucker's conjecture then was, why haven't these people been charged if the, if the government knows who they are? Clearly, these were undercover FBI agents, and they facilitated this riot. One of the unindicted co-conspirators named in the charging documents was someone who had shared a room with Thomas Caldwell the day prior to the riot. And Tucker actually used that as a piece of evidence. Still operating under the pretense that these were FBI agents, Tucker was like, they shared a room with Caldwell, implying that Caldwell was set up and put up to this. We now have confirmation that the undedicated co-conspirator in that document was undoubtedly Thomas Caldwell's wife, which blows up Tucker's narrative from before that this was all an FBI sting operation. Interesting. Interesting indeed. So that I wish that, that mattered. <laughs> Yeah, right. Like that, that should matter. But reality is so warped on Tucker's show that like it doesn't even feel like the two are connected. Yeah. But like Tucker just invalidated a big part of one of his biggest recent narratives. Yeah. And that that was satisfying for me. So after the Caldwell's plugged their GoFundMe and head out and head out, um, this is how Tucker teases going into the break. So at the height of the BLM lunacy, activists at UCLA, the college, demanded that their professors grade black students more leniently than white students. One professor said no, and he was punished for it. He's now suing UCLA. He joins us next. Plus, Candace Owens is here to explain who's behind an effort to defund the police department, yet another, in a major city. That's all ahead. So do you want to hear about UCLA or police defunding first? Let's do UCLA. All right. Um, so I'm going to let this whole segment that Tucker did on UCLA, the situation there, play out. And then I'm going to ask you what you think is happening in this story <laughs> from, okay, what, sounds, from what you've heard. Okay, sounds good. Gordon Klein is a longtime professor at UCLA. In the summer of last year, in the middle of the BLM riots, a student emailed Klein with a demand. He told Klein to grade black students with, quote, more leniency than other students. Of course, Klein said no. Within three days, UCLA suspended Professor Klein. He was not reinstated for several weeks. Now he is suing UCLA. Professor Klein joins us tonight. Professor, thanks so much for coming on. Um, Tucker, thanks for having me on. The the whole story is so crazy, it's hard to believe it's real. Was your intro correct? The school punished you because you insist on grading people on their performance? 
yeah, can you believe it? It's in the rule book. Great people based on merit. It's in the rule book. Never discriminate. I've lived my life never discriminating. I was yes. grotesquely offended by the condescending nature of what this student said to me. I posed questions to him to get him to rethink his position. The student was content with it. He said, rhetorical questions, I'm cool with that. He got back to studying, got a grade A in my class, and I thought the thing was over. But the university decided they wanted to spot a racist, or at least an alleged racist, and they decided they've got a horrible reputation for racism, bias, and incivility within the Anderson School of Management where I teach. And so they decided that they'd make an example out of me to rehabilitate their own reputation as a publicity stunt. And that's all it was. So because you refused to take account of race, they called you a racist. What Does your suit... I know it's I, bizarre. You almost have yeah. to... You almost have to say it several times. They called me a racist because I quoted Martin Luther King in support of a colorblind society. Well, I've lived that, so I know that is true. Does your suit, which we're praying for fervently, have any hope of, of prevailing, do you think? Oh, it not only has hope of prevailing, keep in mind, I've been a law faculty member there for a number of years. I've been a superior court referee appointed by judges. I know the law. I know the legal system. I earn my income as a legal expert witness. Does it have a chance of prevailing? Uh, if I get a fair hearing, it has a 100% chance of prevailing, and the university should be shaking in its boots right now. In fact, Man. the irony is they hire me to teach law and ethics to students, and guess what? I'm now going to teach them a lesson in law and ethics. Oh, I love this so much. If you win, I hope you'll come back to celebrate with us. I really do. Gordon Glenn, I would thank love you. to. Well, you are welcome. You are definitely well at the party hats. Thank you. You got it. Okay, so given what you just heard, what do you think happened in this story? Uh, I was kind of hoping this would be easier, I'll be honest. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. It kind of sounds like a student um, was participating in a BLM protest and wanted leniency for like not being in class or something because there was like a campus-wide BLM protest or something and then when he said no that's like discriminating against black people that's my guess I I'm not very confident <laughs> yeah so you cannot be faulted for not having a good grasp on the story because this is textbook obfuscation like this was so intentionally unclear and the reason it's unclear is because what Tucker wants his audience to come away with is the feeling that like, oh, this guy got in trouble for not giving black people special treatment. So here, here's what happened. The incident that spurred the lawsuit began on the morning of June 2nd, 2020, when Gordon Klein received an email from who he said was a non-black student asking that Klein grade black students with greater leniency in the wake of George Floyd's death and the civil unrest that followed. Quote, we are ready to express our tremendous concern about the impact this final exam and project will have on the mental and physical health of our black classmates, the student wrote, according to Klein. The student, whose name was not released, then requested a no-harm final exam, meaning that it would only count if it helped the student's grade. In response, Klein emailed the student. I'm going to read that entire email now. 
Thanks for your suggestion in your email below that I give Black students special treatment, given the tragedy in Minnesota. Do you know the names of any classmates that are Black? How can I, how can I identify them since we've been having online classes only? Are there any students that may be a mixed percentage, such as half Black, half Asian? What do you suggest I do with respect to them? A full concession or just half? Also, do you have any idea if any students are from Minneapolis? I assume that they, would, they probably are especially devastated as well. I'm thinking that a white student from there might be possibly even more devastated by this, especially because some might think that they are racist even if they are not. My TA is from Minneapolis, so if you don't know, I can probably ask her. Can you guide me on how you think I should achieve a no-harm outcome since our sole course grade is from a final exam only? One last thing strikes me. Remember that MLK famously said that people should not be evaluated based on the color of their skin. Do you think that your request would run afoul of MLK's admonition? Thanks, G. Klein. So, what a dick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that was just very, like, condescending and shitty. Um, yeah, she wasn't asking for racial discrimination. She was asking for, like, empathy after a national tragedy. <laughs> yeah. Like, fuck you. <laughs> So it, it, in response to that email, uh, a circulation started petitioning that was requesting clients, uh, a petition to have Klein fired. Quote from the petition, we ask for your support in having Professor Klein's professorship terminated for his extremely insensitive, dismissive, and woefully racist response to his students' request for empathy and compassion during a time of civil unrest. Given his background in ethics and liability, one would expect Professor Klein to hold himself to a higher social standard especially given his position as a steward within higher education. However, his response to students was inappropriate, tone deaf, and highly insensitive. The killing of George Floyd displayed a brutality that was so casual and so cruel, it reflected an utter dehumanization of Black life. It is understandable, then, that students nationwide, especially Black students, are struggling to focus on their education when there is a massive social political unrest that concerns both them and the future of their plight in this country. Professor Klein's blatant lack of empathy and unwillingness to accommodate his students during a time of protests speaks to his apathetic stance on the matter. His suggestion that a student with one Black and one Asian parent should only be accommodated half as much as a Black student is a preposterously racist notion. Furthermore, his claim that a white student from Minneapolis, quote, might might possibly be even more devastated because some might think that they're racist, puts into perspective his ignorance, his bias, and his gross inability to comprehend the gravity of the systematic violence, discrimination, and fear experienced by Black people in this country. So that circulation was going, or that petition was going around. However, it's important to note that Klein was not, as a result, fired by UCLA. He was suspended. Um, There is a review. And ultimately, the UCLA's Academic Science Committee on on Academic Freedom ruled that the case did not warrant an investigation because instructors are entitled to say no to requests for changes in the grading structure, and Klein was reinstated less than 21 days later. So he he wasn't fired. He was briefly suspended while people reviewed the situation because this was drawing a lot of attention. People were upset. They decided that he, he was within his rights to refuse requests to change the grading structure and reinstated him pretty 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 promptly. And then he goes on Tucker Carlson and says, I was fired for being racist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, uh, uh, he, I think he sees like, oh, there's a career in here, baby. Files okay. So, so he was literally employed by UCLA when he did this interview. 
Yeah, to to my knowledge, he's still employed. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, like, when he was on Tucker Carlson doing this interview, was he still suspended, or had his suspension ended? Suspension had ended. Okay. So there's like no deniability that he's just bullshitting about getting fired. He took and, three weeks off in the middle of June, a really busy yeah. time for school. Yeah. And he uh, he's filed this lawsuit um, in court documents. Klein alleged that he suffered severe emotional distress, trauma, and physical ailments for which he's been treated by his primary care physician, a gastrointestinal physician, and a psychiatrist. So he... He, he's basically making the argument that this suspension was so devastating and stressful to him that he needed medical attention, which, I mean, I, I, I can't say that that didn't happen, so I won't, but fine. Yeah. Pretty the, sus though. This is, this is an example of the system more or less working how it's supposed to. Like he got a request from a student. He was kind of a dick in his reply. It was emotionally charged time. People got upset feeling that his response was insensitive and not taking into account the gravity of the situation. So people start asking to be fired. UCLA is like, let's look into this, see if there's anything here. They looked into it. It was like, nope, there's nothing here. Reinstated him. Like, this is fine. Yeah, like, it's a non-story. So that that's instructive of just how, how much of Tucker's job is just obfuscation, like hiding the facts of a case from you to make you just feel a certain way about it. Um, yeah. All right, so then let's get into what's going on with the Austin Police Department. Geniuses in the city government of Austin, Texas last year cut the city's police budget. Now the police have announced they are not able to respond to crimes that are non-emergencies, meaning if the perpetrator has already left the scene. If you are experiencing uh, a non-emergency call, and I will be going over uh, specifically the ones that we have changed, um, then what we ask that you do is to do to report those uh, over either over the phone by calling three one one, or by doing it online at ireportaustin.com. In other words, you're no longer going to fulfill the most basic duty of government, which is to keep you safe. Just go on the website. Good luck there. That's insane. People actually live in Austin and put forward a new ballot proposal to fix it. It's called Proposition A. It would hire more police officers like the ones they used to have. Oh, but wait. George Soros doesn't like that. George Soros doesn't live in Austin, but he'd like to destroy it. So an advocacy group that he has founded just dumped a half a million dollars into a campaign to defeat that measure. Oh my God, he's doing the George Soros thing. We're going to be hearing a lot about the George Soros thing for reasons we'll learn shortly. Oh my God. Um, yeah. Did George Soros actually provably have any involvement in the Austin Police Department? Uh, very indirectly. His the Open Society Foundation, um, which is the the charitable foundation that George Soros runs has put some money like into groups fighting this, this bill to add more police in Austin. Um, so th- there are like three layers of separation, but you can make the argument that Soros is funding opposition to this measure. <sighs> um, so before we even get into Soros, let's talk about what, what's actually going on with the Austin PD. You actually talked about this a little bit before in how, in terms of how, um, on paper, the Austin PD's budget was cut by $150 million in 2020, but a lot of that money was put into a, a decouple fund, 
they called it, which was supposed to be focused on like shifting different services out of the police department. And most of that money ended up just going back into the police. So um, it, Austin, the, the PD was never actually defunded nearly as much as it looked like. If you haven't listened to that episode, I recommend it. I do a pretty good deep dive there, I will say. But since then, there have been some developments that make, that make Tucker's narrative even stupider. So on April 22nd of 2021, the Austin City Council approved a $442 million budget for the APD, which went into effect on October 1st, 2021. This budget represents an increase of 47.8%, and the budget for the APD is now the highest that it's ever been. Not only is the APD receiving the largest budget increase in their history, but now, thanks to Governor Greg Abbott and the, and the Republican state legislature, Texas cities cannot defund their police departments without consequences. Abbott signed a new law, HB 1900, that makes it illegal for Texas cities to cut police funding. According to the Texas Tribune, if this law is broken, property taxes in cities that do not comply will be kept, deducting sales tax revenue or stripping annexation powers. So even before we get into this Soros bullshit, Tucker is already lying about the Austin police budget being defunded. They literally have a bigger budget now than they've ever had before. Wow. Yeah. So then um, he he's going to go ahead and uh, bring on Candace Owens to talk about what's going on here. Uh, yes. Police expert Candace Owens. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If I, if I, if there's one person who knows a lot about, the intricacies, the intricacies of policing. It's Candace Owens. Let me tell you. Mm-hmm. Candace Owens is the host of Candace. She joins us tonight to unravel this mystery. So, so here, Candace, thanks so much for coming. In. So here, George Soros does not live in Austin, Texas. Don't think he ever has. He's not actually from this country originally. Why would he want Austin, Texas to have fewer police officers on the street? That's a very good question. And first and foremost, I'm so tired of the left pretending like we've picked George Soros to be our boogeyman. Like, oh, he's not a bad guy, but there goes the right talking about George Soros. Every right. time this man spends money, it, it, it is towards an effort that is going to undo American civilization. Notoriously, obviously, he defunded Black Lives Matter, all the rioting, all the protests, the Open Foundation Society, which which is his foundation, gave money to all of these causes. And you ask yourself why. He's a billionaire. If he wanted to help people or help black people, he doesn't need to give it to Black Lives Matter. He can give it to tons of other causes that actually do work to help black people and don't right. destroy their communities. But here we have him again in the same type of initiative going against police officers, and you ask yourself why. Well, you know, if I'm going to fathom an idea or a theory as to why he's doing this, George Soros is a man that made his money in investment. So we have to ask ourselves, what is he doing? What is he invested in that would his, his investments would go long? He would do well in his investments if America was undone, if major cities were undone. I don't know. Maybe he's going long on China. Why would he benefit from a, an America America doesn't really exist. I've also said this to you many times in the past, Tucker, and I want to say it again. I think what the left is after more than anything is the federalization of the police force. I've been saying yes. this over and over again. Look at the American story right now. It is the exact same story of every country that has converted from a capitalist, thriving society into a socialist society. They need to federalize the police force to make sure that the federal government has the most control. It's the only thing that makes sense. Again, the question, why does George Soros want to see that? Why does George Soros want to see the collapse of America. Well, he has to be invested in a country that isn't America. Jesus Christ, Candace. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I don't know. She said like a million different things. <laughs> As Candace do. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, 
George Soros is a is a billionaire foreign national, and that's why he's trying to destroy American cities. Because if American cities fail, then his investments somewhere else prosper. I don't think that's how that works. Yeah, like it, it's not like a, it's not a zero sum game that like if if it goes down in one country, it goes up in some other country magically. Yeah, like it, modern economies especially in large prosperous countries are incredibly interconnected. So her, she was implying there that he's probably invested in China. If he wants to see the destruction of America, China's economy is incredibly dependent upon America's economy. Yeah. Like pretty much the whole world economy is heavily dependent on America's economy. Yeah. Like if, if you're invest, I mean, the dollar is the world's reserve currency. If you're invested in other countries, it's a good idea. You, you don't want America to collapse. Yeah. And then, did I hear her correctly? Did she say that he defunded BLM? She did say that. I think she meant to say funded. Okay. Because I'm like, George Soros doesn't have the power to defund BLM, <laughs> Candace. Yeah, that'd be a weird thing to do. Um, And then it, she just did like the whataboutism. Like, why, why did he donate to BLM and not some other charity that I like better? It's like... That's not an argument. <laughs> yeah, and the Open Society Foundation donates to all sorts of shit. Like they, 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 they have given money to BLM and plenty of other initiatives. Um, and then, oh, and then the the big thing she said she wants the federalization of the police. That is an extremely scary thing that she just said. Um, you want the military in every city? Is that? So- that's your so she, thought, Candace? So she thinks that's what the left wants. Um, she thinks that the left is pushing for the federalization of the police. She said this a couple of times in Tucker's show that she 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 believes that the, the Democratic Party's ultimate goal is to replace local police departments with a federal police force that they can control. What? <laughs> yeah, so that that's stupid in a number of ways. One being if that were their ultimate goal and what, what these Democrats are pushing for, you would think one of them might advocate for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, it's not a thing anyone has ever advocated for. Yeah. yeah. Her argument hinges on Democrats not saying what they want and saying something completely different. <laughs> like and we already have a federal police force. There's the FBI. And if, if you want to have a conversation that maybe the FBI shouldn't exist, I'm down for that conversation. But something tells me that's not where where Tucker and Candace would land. No, absolutely not. Um. So yeah. So a bunch of made up shit. Some whataboutism, and George Soros is trying to destroy America because that's a real thing that people believe. Apparently, yeah. That, she's like that. One man is going to destroy American civilization. Yeah. And she said, like, this is what every country that has gone from a capitalist system to a socialist system looks like when she's talking about this. She said they need a federalized police force to do that. Like, I don't, I'm not well versed in the history of every country, but I, I know that, like, if you're looking at, say, the Russian Revolution, the establishment of the Okhrana, which was, which was a, 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 a nationwide kind of secret police force, they were established under the Tsar specifically to combat socialist revolutionaries and uh, and to like intercept and shut down leftist movements 
And then um, like regional leaders in Russia had a lot of authority to call them the military to crush protests for popular dissent. So to the extent that these like federal police forces have been used historically that I'm aware of, it's been to crush leftist movements and prevent socialism from taking root. Yeah. And I I know that like socialism and other uh, political enemies were some of the first people to get put in concentration camps in Germany in world war two. Yeah. And even like, even like the only ones advocating for this kind of thing are your side. Like we talked last week about that Tom Cotton op-ed where he wanted the military to be brought into quell BLM protests. (laughs) Like, yeah. Like that's what you guys want. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, projection. (laughs) Speaking of projection. I think that's a really good hypothesis. I think also there is hate at the core of this. I mean, why would you systematically go to cities you've never lived in and make them more dangerous? You know that's going to result in more murders. Everyone, I mean, it's not complicated, but you do it anyway. You clearly are angry at the country. Yeah, or or you're just a person that that wants to make money. I think I really do believe that money is the root of all evil, and I think that George Soros is a person that cares passionately about money. I think he cares about becoming successful. I don't think hate is enough to drive George Soros. Of course, at the core of this is always hate, right? You have to hate America. You have to hate American society, right. or at least not care That's for it right. very much. But the sad part is, is that the people that are suffering are the people that live in Austin, people that have lived there for so long, who are now suffering, who are fearful that they're not going to have a police force, a local police force that can protect its citizens. They want things to get so bad in Austin, so bad in New York, so bad in Chicago, that just like Lori Lightfoot is calling for in Chicago, we need help. Send in reinforcements. Please, somebody send something from the yeah. federal level. I think you're going to see that happening a lot across this country. But the real crime is criticizing a billionaire. <laughs> you can't do that. You're yeah, a bigot. Exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> can't say anything no about criticizing it. the billionaires. Yeah, over and over again. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember I criticized him and talked about his money as well. And they they accuse you of being anti-Semitic. And I'm like, I didn't originally even know that he was Jewish. I'm talking about where he's spending his money. It's not good. A lot of people are intimidated. You're not, though. Candace Owens, I appreciate your coming on tonight. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Candace Owens, the grift queen of Scam Mountain, is going (laughs) to... come in here and tell us that money is the root of all evil really yeah really candace okay and then the other thing she's too dumb to know that george soros is an anti-semitic dog whistle so she just starts hating on him without knowing why people hate on him yeah like you you might not have known he was jewish but a a whole lot of the narratives around george soros have roots in deep anti-semitism yeah so like (laughs) complicitly peddling those narratives without knowing their context it does not absolve you <laughs> no no it does not um and like uh, george Soros shouldn't be a billionaire because billionaires shouldn't exist so in, in that respect i don't I'm not, I'm not a fan but like these people live in a comic book universe where there is yeah. like the, these sinister all-powerful billionaires like, they they want they want lex luther to be real yeah for real <laughs> Oh, and then, oh, and then um, Tucker Carlson is doing the thing where he makes up a fake villain. And then (laughs) um, he said that people are coming into cities that they've never lived in to make them more dangerous. I don't know if he's talking about like BLM or like defund the police advocates or both, but like he has to pretend that defund the police means make, make cities more dangerous because 
that would be an evil comic book villain thing to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, no one wants cities to be more dangerous, but we don't think that police make them safer. And like, he's willfully ignorant of that position. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's all just made up. So Tucker has been hitting the Soros narratives hard this week. Um, I think this is the only time I cut it, but he, he he did a big Soros thing once before this and does it later in the week as well. And here he reveals why why he might be focusing on Soros a bit more a bit more recently. So you just heard what George Soros is trying to do to the city of Austin, Texas. You can find out what effect he's had on the city of Chicago. We did a whole episode of it. It's on Tucker Carlson Originals. It's called Chicago in Crisis. It's streaming now on Fox Nation. Also this December, we have an entire episode that focuses on how George Soros is harming civilization around the world. We went to Hungary to find out. That's going to be worth watching. We'll see you tomorrow night. He can just do this. He can just be like, hello, I have the most watched cable news show in history. Please join my anti-Semitism talk. This is interesting. When, when he was in Hungary a few weeks back, I think we might have talked about that for a minute or two. Or more. <laughs> uh, he, said that w- he said that one of the reasons they were in Hungary was to film an episode of Tucker Carlson Originals, which is their documentary series. Turns out now that the documentary they were filming there was about how George Soros has done evil around the world. That's problematic for a number of reasons, um, mainly that Viktor Orban is like the world leader in, anti- in anti-Semitic George Soros dogpiling. So apparently that's coming out in December. So isn't it, isn't it interesting that while they have this big George Soros documentary coming out, Tucker's also talking a lot more about George Soros on his nightly show, almost like it's marketing to Nazis. Like, <laughs> not trying to turn this into like Troy and Tyler's edgy opinion hour, but Jesus Christ, Tucker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And not to pat myself on the back or anything, but it was probably a few months ago now that I said, you know, I, I'm going to do a deep dive into George Soros conspiracy stuff. I'm just waiting for the right time because I'm sure Tucker's going to give me something. Here it is. <laughs> so. If we were uh, in the same room, I'd pat you. I'd pat you on the back because you, you deserve it. <laughs> so uh, I, I guess we'll be doing that in December because that's when this Tucker Carlson originals thing comes out. Oh boy. Um, yeah. Soros is like ninety-one or some shit. He's gonna die soon, and then what are these people gonna do? They'll find another evil Jew. Yeah. I like most likely the next one will be Bill Gates, but I'm hoping it's Zuckerberg. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be really funny. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do either. Cause like there, there's no easier target. Yeah, like it, Soros is even like a sinister name. It's like, it's, yeah. it's a perfect package. Yeah, for real. Um, that's the end of Monday. And I only have one clip from Tuesday. The, the main thrust of Tuesday, Tucker is mad about this thing. The, the DOJ announced they're going to crack down on people making threats against school board members. Um, but he talks about that again, Wednesday. So we'll address it. We'll address it there. Um, this is a like a Tuesday. Ever noticed how when a whistleblower comes forward to tell the truth about something or other, the truth is always pretty much what you always knew or at least suspected. It's just confirming what's effectively kind of obvious. Well, today in the Senate, a whistleblower from Facebook testified that the company is fully aware that its products hurt children. 
Here's part of what she said. And has Facebook ever offered features that it knew had a negative effect on children's and teens' mental health? Facebook knows that its amplification algorithms, things like engagement-based ranking on Instagram, can lead children from very innocuous topics like healthy recipes, I think all of us can eat a little more healthy, um, all the way from just something innocent like healthy recipes to anorexia promoting content over a very short period of time. So that's Frances Haugen, the whistleblower from Facebook, and she also revealed today, and this is creepy as hell, Facebook views preteens as a, quote, untapped market, even though Facebook is fully aware that their product will cause long-term damage to many of these kids. Kids, kids who are bullied on Instagram, the bullying follows them home. It follows them into their bedrooms. The last thing they see before they go to bed at night is someone being cruel to them. Like, think about how that's going to impact their domestic relationships when they become 20-somethings or 30-somethings, to believe that people who care about you are mean to you. Yeah, so there are a lot of questions here, but the most obvious is we do have a Congress, right? We have laws. People are getting punished as terrorists for complaining about their school boards. Why is Facebook and Google and Twitter, why are they allowed to hurt our kids? So this is one where Tucker and I would probably disagree on the specifics, but as far as the broad strokes, we're pretty much simpatico there. Yeah. Um, is this from that, that interview this week? Um was it 60 minutes or something that someone who worked at Facebook came out and said, is that, is that this lady? Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, she, um, I forget the exact words, but like she was talking about how they know exactly how much like violence and hate drive traffic. So they don't block it <laughs> Yeah. on Facebook. Yeah. So yeah, Facebook fucking sucks. <laughs> yeah, face, face, Facebook isn't just like billionaires. Facebook shouldn't exist. <laughs> yeah. Um, like I, I think we're really going to be reckoning a lot over our lifetime and probably beyond assuming humanity makes it that long. Um, we can, like, fingers crossed it with like just how bad Facebook and, and social media are for us. Like I sound like a Luddite when I say this, I think, but th there is an extent to which, human communication on just really basic levels has been overhauled so dramatically and so quickly that I, I, I think that there's going to be a lot of a reckoning over the next several decades, probably about exactly what we unleashed here and like the effect that this had on individuals and on society and how we, we, we maybe really should have been more conscious of it, but we couldn't have been because it was a way to make a shit ton of money and we live under capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not uh, to get on my soapbox or anything, but like, I don't, I don't think that social media has to be evil, but I think that it has to be evil if it's, if it needs to be profitable and free. <laughs> yeah. Cause like it, because it's it's a reflection of human behavior, and so like if your if your goal is to maximize profit, then you have to be doing things to manipulate human behavior to maximize profit. You know. Yeah. The other day when Facebook was down, a, a consequence of that that we maybe are a little bit unaware of here is like WhatsApp is kind of the main method of communication in a lot of places around the world. So when WhatsApp goes down, that severely cripples people in a lot of developing nations. Okay. 
it, it makes sense. I mean, it's widely available and free, but it, it, it just goes to show like how dangerous it is to give these these tech monopolies so much power on on a global scale. Yeah, that like when, sure. a, when a server goes down, it can inhibit the ability of millions of people to communicate. Yeah, like th- these are things we really should have thought about more. And like I, I think I've said this before, and I don't remember who said it originally, to be honest. But a quote that I really like that I've heard was, um, "There will come a time where we'll probably talk about excessive social media use the same way that we talk about smoking now." Like, man, we didn't used to know how bad that was for people. Yeah. I like that one. <laughs> so then, um, and, and that, that was all I cut from Tuesday. And the reason that I cut it is because it's going to have a satisfying payoff at the end here. Um, but let's, let's jump into Wednesday. This is how Tucker opens. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson. Tonight, if you lived in this country 15 years ago and you've got a good memory, you may remember the creation of something called the National Security Division at the Department of Justice. It was created back in 2005 when they re-upped the Patriot Act. Now, the point of the National Security Division, we were told at the time, was to conduct, quote, counter-terrorism and counter-espionage operations against foreign adversaries. This was the big stuff. Mostly it was Islamic terror, which was the primary threat of that time. But these were also the people in charge of busting Chinese spies who were trying to steal our nuclear secrets, stopping suicide bombers and hijackings. Not small stuff, crimes that threaten the nation. That was then. Then Joe Biden became president in January. And the entire mission of the United States government changed and turned inward against you. That's, uh, th- that's something that Tucker and people in his world have been saying a lot about how um, once the Biden administration came into power, kind of the national security apparatus was turned against American civilians who disagree with the regime and i just i i can't stress enough how radicalized a given idea that is yeah <laughs> uh, like the n- not just that the government is enacting policies you don't like but that the government is an active and proactive threat to you <laughs> it's yeah like i i feel like such a bad commentator because like when tucker says shit like that it's like it doesn't phase me because I know he's lying. (laughs) So it's like, I have a hard time empathizing with people who take this really, really seriously. Like, I don't know how to talk to them. Yeah. It's, it's just like, I mean, you can start with, have you or anyone, you know, had a SWAT team kicked down your door recently? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's always just around the corner. They're going to take the guns any day now. Um, but then here, Tucker is going to explain what he's so mad about this time around. A few days ago, the Department of Justice, under the radical Attorney General Merrick Garland, announced that the National Security Division has a new domestic mission. According to Garland, effective immediately, the National Security Division is handling the investigation of, quote, harassment, intimidation, and threats of violence against school board members, teachers, and workers in our nation's public schools, end quote. So the question is, who is threatening these teachers and school board members? Is it Al-Qaeda? Is it the Russian government? Is it ISIS-K? No, it's parents. Parents are angry about what's happening in schools. Why are they angry? Well, take a close look at the people Joe Biden has nominated to senior leadership positions in the Department of Education. Take a look at YouTube videos while they still exist of some of the school board meetings across the country over the past year. 
And you will know exactly why parents are mad. Parents who believe in things like biological sex, who oppose racial hierarchies imposed in pre-kindergarten classrooms, teaching kids to hate their parents. Those are the threat, according to the Biden administration. You'll notice if you look closely that nowhere in Merrick Garland's recent order or the DOJ's press release is any explanation of these, quote, threats of violence. What threats of violence? Has violence occurred at school board meetings? No. Look closer and you'll find this line, quote, the Justice Department will also create specialized training and guidance that will help school board members understand the type of behavior that constitutes threats. Oh, So it's a propaganda operation funded by you out of the Department of So-Called Justice, designed to tell teachers and school board members that when parents complain, it's domestic terrorism. It's not the First Amendment in progress. It's not your constituents voicing legitimate complaints. It's effectively a foreign adversary trying to kill you. The Biden administration is trying to convince school board members using the Department of Justice that they are in physical danger from parents. And those parents are national security threats. What the fuck is he talking about, Troy? (laughs) Yeah, so here's what's going on here. Um, So there was a memo from Merrick Garland recently about how the Department of Justice is going to start looking into situations where parents have made threats against members of school boards. And that's based on protests around like critical race theory and stuff like that. Okay. Um, So threatening people is a crime. (laughs) Just... (laughs) Taking note of that. This came in response to a letter from the National School Boards Association, um, which represents national school boards um, or school boards in the nation. They sent a letter to President Biden asking for help as school boards were facing threats of violence from parents at school board meetings. Some of the examples that they outlined in this letter were um, an individual was arrested in Illinois for aggregated, aggravated battery and disorderly conduct during a school board meeting. That parent apparently struck some of the school board officials during that meeting. Um, during two separate school board meetings in Michigan, an, an individual yelled a Nazi salute and protest to masking requirements. Jesus and, Christ. Yep. And another individual prompted the board to call a recess because of his opposition to critical race theory. In New Jersey, Ohio, and other states, anti-mask, pro- anti-mask proponents are inciting chaos during board meetings. In Virginia, an individual was arrested and another man was ticketed for trespassing and a third person was hurt during a school board meeting discussion distinguishing current curricula from critical race theory and regarding equity issues. In other states, including Washington, Texas, Wisconsin, Wyoming, and Tennessee, school boards have been confronted by angry mobs and forced to end meetings abruptly. A resident in Alabama who proclaimed himself as vaccine police has called school administrators while filming himself on Facebook Live. In Ohio, an individual mailed a letter to a school board member that stated, we are coming after you and all the members on the, on the Board of Education. You are forcing them to wear masks for no reason in this world other than control, and for that you will pay dearly. Um, the same threat also called the school board member a filthy traitor and labeled the school board as Marxist. So th- those, those Carlson are... fans. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, according to the according to the attorney general's memo, the Justice Department will launch a series of additional efforts in the coming days designed to address the rise in criminal conduct directed towards school personnel. Those efforts are expected to include the creation of a task force consisting of representatives on the department's criminal division, 
National Security Division, Civil Rights Division, and Executive Office for U.S. Attorneys, the FBI, the Community Relations Service, and the Office of Justice Programs to determine how federal enforcement tools can be used to prosecute these crimes and ways to assist state, tribal, territorial, and local law enforcement where threats of violence may not constitute federal crimes. The Justice Department will also create a specialized training and guidance for local school boards and school administrators. This training will help school board members and other potential victims understand the type of behavior that constitutes threats, how to report threatening conduct to the appropriate law enforcement agencies, and how to capture and preserve evidence of threatening conduct to aid in the investigation and prosecution of these crimes. So that part of the end there is what Tucker seemed especially mad about was that they're they're going to be conducting trainings for these school boards on how to identify threatening behavior. Tucker's interpretation of that was that it's essentially propaganda telling school boards to view angry parents as threatening. I think what's more likely is that that's probably that they want to have these these training materials for like these things are the kind of behavior that constitute federal crimes that we can get involved in. So people aren't like calling the FBI with things that aren't, that don't meet that criteria. Right. I mean, a lot of, a lot of these, uh, I can see the argument that a lot of these things are like local issues and the federal government shouldn't necessarily be involved, but also like no arrests have been made. Nobody has been directed to be arrested or charged with a crime. This is, this seems sort of like just kind of a general, in the event that people are under threat, we're going to take that seriously. And I don't think that that's a, a big, dire conspiracy. <laughs> yeah. And then he he's talking about making kids hate their parents. Like, what, what are you talking about? You're just making shit up. He also squeezed in some transphobia. Yeah. He, uh, he he did an interview with Andrew Yang on Tucker Carlson today the other day, because um, Yang is Yang is creating a new political party. <laughs> uh. um, yep, and uh, during that interview, Tucker said something about like, um, it, isn't it crazy that that they're telling people you can just change your gender at will? That's that that doesn't make any sense. And Andrew Yang looked uncomfortable, but then just like started talking about something different and didn't push back at all. It was like, fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck you. You can change your gender whenever you want. Speaking of people who can get fucked. (laughs) (laughs) Once again, nothing like this has ever happened in this country. This is an utter perversion of the mission and the power of the United States Department of Justice. It is almost impossible to overstate how sinister and crazy this is. We almost never play the equivalence game because it's tiresome, but in this case, it's hard to resist. Imagine if Donald Trump's DOJ designated, say, CNN anchors as domestic terrorists, put it in writing, and then told men with guns to enforce the law. How would that go over? We, for one, would be outraged by that. All decent Americans would. And it would, in fact, be less of a stretch than this order. A lot of CNN anchors made excuses for violence during the riots last year. But the media aren't upset about this. When powerless suburban parents resist having nihilistic ruling class ideologies imposed by force on their children, our media seem to believe it is perfectly fine to designate them terrorists and threaten them with firearms. Fuck you. Trump did everything short of that. He called the media the enemy of the people. He, like, 
everything. He did everything short of yeah. literally making it a crime to talk about him in the news. <laughs> yeah. He puts these goalposts so arbitrarily, like, oh, the difference, he didn't put it in writing. It's it, Fuck you. It wouldn't um, be constitutional to put that in writing, you <laughs> piece of shit. <laughs> and uh, he seems really upset about law enforcement officials threatening people with guns when those people are on his team. Yeah. Um, <laughs> funny how, like, every police shooting of, say, a 16-year-old black girl was justified. Or a 13-year-old black boy. Um, so then, uh, I'm trying to work on my, my, my transitions. Um, <laughs> so let's say here, Tucker unmasks himself by talking about masks. <laughs> so mothers stand up before a school board, which is their constitutional right, in fact, their duty as parents, to say that they believe, based on a lot of scientific evidence, that their children are being hurt by a policy that makes no sense. Imagine looking at that tape and blaming the moms and suggesting that their behavior is, quote, scary, and they're terrorists, and the FBI should show up at their house and hassle them, like they're Al-Qaeda or ISIS-K, assuming that even exists. What do they say? Don't put masks on our kids anymore. It's child abuse. Well, actually, that's true. And anyone who's looked at the data knows that it's true. Belgian pediatricians, for example, in the Belgian Academy for Medicine, not a third world country, just issued this assessment of masks in school. Here it is, quote, testing children, imposing mouth masks and quarantines go against the principle of first do no harm, which is included in the Hippocratic Oath that doctors took. These drastic actions do much more damage to the children in the short and long term than going through the COVID infection itself, end quote. Now, that's not some angry mom from Laguna Beach. Those are physicians saying that. And if you look around, and you should, you will not find a single scientific study anywhere in the world that fundamentally contradicts that assessment. There is no science, none, behind these mask mandates for children. What physician is saying that putting a cloth mask on your child's face is child abuse? Let's start with that that letter he read from the Belgian doctors, um, from the Belgian Academy for Medicine. It's important to take that statement in context. That statement that Tucker read comes from a group of Belgian pediatricians under the umbrella organization of the Belgian Academy for Medicine. In the statement, they argued that for primary schools in regions where the epi- epidemiological situation is stable, restrictions related to testing and quarantining in schools should be suspended. Here's another quote from that statement, which Tucker conveniently did not read on air. Quote, even if it turns out that this abolition poses a risk, we advocate tightening measures for the adults in society in favor of a normalization of education for under 12-year-olds. The doctors also argued that, a number, that the number of new coronavirus infections remains stable in Belgium, currently an average of around 2,000 new infections per week, and that almost all adults who are admitted to hospital now are those who have chosen not to get vaccinated. That statement also does not reflect a uniform view among medical professionals in Belgium. A joint statement from doctors at the Association of Schools of Public Health in the European region in Belgium, as well as the European Academy of Pediatrics in Belgium, recommends the use of masks by children in schools, provided that the masks fit the child's head and the children are trained in proper mask disposal. So Tucker picked this letter from this Association of Doctors in Belgium that does not necessarily represent the, consen- the consensus view among Belgian healthcare professionals, but even that letter he's misrepresenting. 
they weren't saying that we should just throw all caution to the wind. Their argument was that since infection rates are stable in Belgium and the pandemic is mostly under control, that it would be better to tighten restrictions on adults to make sure that its infection rates stay stable and loosen restrictions on kids in school. Now, that cannot necessarily be translated to the United States where, where infection rates are not stable. And we haven't quite gotten to that point where things are more or less under control. Right. Um, yeah. I was just going to say, like, he's using a, a survey, not a survey, but like an assessment of the Belgian infection rates and not American infection rates. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the, he's being misleading there. And then he says, you can't find a single study that says kids should wear masks. He's right. I didn't find a single study. I found like seven. (laughs) (laughs) A study published in the journal of pediatrics looks at, looked at data from 13 North Carolina school districts between October, 2020 and February, 2021. And found that adherence to basic mitigation strategies, including masking requirements can interrupt within school transmission of COVID-19 even during a surge of community infections. A CDC report from late September examined the impact of mask policies in K-12 schools in Maricopa and, P- and Pima counties in Arizona. They found that schools without mask requirements were 3.5 times more likely to experience outbreaks of COVID-19 than were schools that had mask requirements. Another study from late 2020 looked at COVID-19 cases and transmission in 17 K-12 schools in Wisconsin and found similar results, noting that the rate of transmission of the virus in schools with, ma- with mask mandates as well as other mitigation procedures, was lower than the overall community spread. And still another CDC report, this one published last month, found that counties without school mask requirements experienced larger increases in pediatric COVID-19 case rates compared to counties that had mask requirements. And a report from March looked at transmission at 20 elementary schools in Salt Lake County, Utah, from December 3rd to January 31st of 2021. Despite high community incidence and an inability to space students in the classroom six feet apart, this investigation found low SARS-CoV-2 transmission and no school-related outbreaks in 20 Salt Lake County elementary schools with high student mask use. A report prepared by the ABC Science Collaborative in June of 2021 performed a comprehensive review of available scientific literature and concluded that proper masking is the most effective mitigation strategy to prevent transmission in schools when COVID-19 is circulating and vaccination is unavailable or there is insufficient vaccine uptake. There's also no evidence, despite Tucker's claims, that masking is harmful to children. There was a study that Tucker was all worked up about a few months ago that had been published in JAMA Pediatrics, claiming that masking was dangerous for kids, but that study has since been retracted. So as usual, he's full of shit on this and just speaking authoritatively because he knows his audience isn't going to go look it up. Right. Everyone in those studies was a liberal shill anyway, so can't trust him. Yeah. Yeah. Science has been corrupted, says Ron Johnson, a man who knows zero science. Yeah. Um, Like apparently can't even read a paragraph from the (laughs) FDA. Yeah. Ron Johnson knows a negative science. If Fauci is the embodiment of science, then in like in, in the vision of Fauciism, Ron Johnson is the devil. <laughs> True. Um, the, but Tyler, at the core, they're advocating for book burning. This again. The point is, we don't like their politics, therefore they don't deserve civil liberties. 
That's what they're saying. That's what they believe. You have to wonder if any of these people have ever seen a school board meeting or if they're just repeating what they're told. It's not the parents who were causing chaos. They didn't start this. They had a totally ordinary and justified expectation that their kids would be educated as kids have been educated in this country for more than 100 years in public schools. The schools themselves changed. And parents slowly woke up to this fact. Their kids are being taught racism in schools. They're being hurt. What the hell are you doing? So parents go to meetings to voice objections to teachers who are advocating racial segregation and book burning, and they're doing it on camera. They're not doing it in secret. They're not plotting. This isn't the QAnon army. These are just normal Americans. Here's tape from Virginia back in May. It's funny how they are so afraid of their children seeing another view of sexuality, gender, or religion. If you want to talk about books that are assigned, let's read To Kill a Mockingbird together. If you aren't willing to consider the racial trauma this assigned book causes black children with its white saviorism, then you have no business discussing any books. Well, exactly. If you're telling kids that Dr. Seuss and To Kill a Mockingbird, both of which are explicitly anti-racist and were before that was even a term thought up by some grifter at Boston University, if you really believe that, you're a lunatic. And let's just say that out loud, you're a lunatic. And if you're complaining about it, you're not the one waging chaos. Look around on cable news and you won't find anybody explaining what's actually going on. Instead, you'll find people like Nicole Wallace barking about how people who don't agree with her don't deserve civil liberties. We almost never use her name on the air. Nicole Wallace is the physical embodiment of virtually everything that's wrong with this country. She is, in a word, loathsome. But let's be completely honest. If the federal government ever decided and then declared publicly that Nicole Wallace was a terrorist for her political opinions, we would unhesitatingly leap to her defense. With maximum vehemence, we would do it instantly and we wouldn't stop because we believe in civil liberties. Would she do the same for us? Of course not. If the entire staff of this show is arrested tomorrow for our beliefs, Nicole Wallace would celebrate. And that's the difference. We believe in civil liberties and they don't. You have to ignore so much context and so much of like To Kill a Mockingbird and a lot of like Dr. Seuss's early books to say that they're not racist. To the extent that I think Tucker has not read any of them, You can acknowledge those things without saying, like, nobody should ever read a Dr. Seuss book again, or nobody should ever read To Kill a Mockingbird again. But to not, like, to not be honest about things that, frankly, society has moved on from, certain prevailing attitudes, like, you you can have that conversation in an informed way. And, like, for for all Tucker's talk, like, you should be able to say whatever you want, no ideas should be censored. He really does not want any critical evaluation of this stuff. Right. And again, like the that's the fundamental difference. We believe in civil liberties; they don't. For somebody who for somebody who goes on and complains to Megyn Kelly about how the left is driving this country towards civil war and eroding our fabric and the things we have in common and making it impossible for us to talk to each other, look in a goddamn mirror, Tucker. Like it, the message that people are taking away is that people who disagree with them politically don't believe in civil liberties and think that they should be punished. With, with people with guns by the government. Like at, at that point, it, we, we've said a couple of times, how do we talk to these people? They're thinking, how do we talk to, how did they talk to us? You know? Yeah. Oh, I don't even know what to say, man. <laughs> yeah. 
and then creeping up on the end here, uh, he, he's gonna he's gonna take a brief segue to touch on a, a story that I found interesting. How can you tell? Has Nicole Wallace or anyone else at MSNBC said a single word about the federal government spying on people's Google searches? That's happening. Accidentally, the feds just unsealed court documents showing that the DOJ under Joe Biden has been obtaining sensitive private information from any American who typed in certain keywords into a Google search. A Minnesota judge, for example, recently approved a secret warrant requiring Google to provide tracking information on, quote, any user within the city of Edina, Minnesota, who searched a fraud victim's name. Oh, is it a stretch to think that this could be extended to ideological crimes, which are the crimes the Biden administration really cares about? No, it's not a stretch at all. In fact, of course, it's happening. And no one on television even mentions it because they think you deserve it, because they don't think you have civil liberties, because they don't believe in God. Therefore, they don't think you got those rights from God. They thought you got them from the government and they could be taken away because you've been naughty. And so they applaud when they're taken away. Google collects an awful lot of tracking information on its users, including their names, home addresses, browsing history, going back decades. So that's a story you would expect a lot of people on the left would be concerned about. If it was 20 years ago, they would be. The ACLU would be all over it. It's proof, once again, that the government has too much surveillance power over American citizens, and they are abusing this to spy on Americans who've done nothing wrong. But not one of the national security experts, so-called in MSNBC or CNN, will even mention it. Why is that? Because their job isn't to protect you or civil liberties, but to protect the party in power. I'm getting very exhausted (laughs) (laughs) with your bullshit, Tucker. Yeah, so what he's talking about here with Google spying on people, he's he's talking about these keyword warrants. Um, He he made an interesting decision to obfuscate something here because he mentioned that the government recently made some documents, like accidentally made some documents public, which is true. Um, But the documents that were accidentally made public were not in reference to a fraud victim, like the case he was talking about. Rather, it had to do with this uh, this sexual abuse and human trafficking case. So before we get into that, what keyword warrants are? Um, they're warrants that can be issued to companies that run search engines asking for information on users who search specific keywords within a certain time frame. Um, and I, I, I will just say I am against this practice. I, 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 I think it's a Fourth Amendment violation. And I, and in, in, in as far as Tucker is opposed to this being done, I can get behind that. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Like, I don't love that the government can get this uh, info on anyone, but like they can get it because Google tracks you, not because. <laughs> yeah, and. And largely because uh, free market um, devotees have allowed this kind of thing to go unchecked for a long time. Yeah. And tough on crime devotees. So the the, the case recently that was accidentally made public by the government involved, uh, it was from 2019. A minor had gone missing earlier in the year, but reemerged and claimed to have been kidnapped and sexually assaulted. The FBI asked Google to provide information on anyone who had searched the victim's name, two spellings of her mother's name, or her address over a 16-day period. Tucker, interestingly, chose not to focus on the details of this story, but instead used it to talk about a case from 2017, where Google was asked to provide information on anyone who searched for a fraud victim's name within the city of Edina, 
where the crime took place. I think he might have done that because his audience would be sympathetic to the government investigating a sex trafficking case, and he, need, he needed this to be a bad thing. But the, the, the case that was recently made public on accident had to do with this, this sex trafficking victim. Okay. Um, and in terms of that one he was talking about, the fraud victim in 2017, that was limited to people within the city of Edina who were searching for this fraud victim's name. So it's not like it, 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 it was narrowed to it was like regionally bound. There are other examples of these keyword warrants that we do know about. One revealed in 2020 asked Google for information on anyone who had searched for the address of an arson victim who was a witness in the government's racketeering case against R. Kelly. <laughs> um, there were also keyword warrants used in, in the investigation of serial bombings in Austin in 2018. These orders asked to obtain the IP addresses and Google account information of individuals who searched for various addresses as well as certain terms associated with bomb making, such as low explosives and pipe bomb. Similar orders are served to Microsoft and Yahoo for their respective search engines. Um, and another thing these are closely, closely related to are geofence warrants, where investigators might ask Google to provide information on anyone within the location of a crime scene at a given time, which I think is even worse. Yeah, kind of fucked. And yeah, that's an area where Tucker and I, 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 dis- I disagree with his handling of it a bit, but we're not in disagreement that this is a bad thing. Um, and it gives me the opportunity to talk about something kind of important. So good on you, Tux. Um, but then he dives right back into this bullshit. It could be why they're not telling you anything about Marilyn Garland's personal stake, the attorney general's personal stake in persecuting people who challenge the insanity we're seeing in school boards across the country. It turns out Merrick Garland's daughter is married to a man who is the co-founder of an education service company called Panorama Education, which you will not be surprised to learn provides materials on critical race theory to school districts, including dismantling, quote, unconscious bias and systemic racism in schools. Oh, so the thing that parents are complaining about is the thing that Merrick Garland's family is getting rich from. Two days ago, Merrick Garland just made it a crime to complain about the beliefs that are enriching his family. Does that make sense? You should know that this specific company has raised a ton of money from Mark Zuckerberg's foundation. Fairfax County Public Schools just signed a $1.8 million contract with Panorama to conduct a multi-year social and emotional learning screener that gives them the right to collect, quote, psychometrics on the school district students. Do you realize they're collecting psychometrics on your kids? What is a psychometric anyway? This is insane. Some of the questions ask whether students are, quote, sad or, quote, gender fluid. It's all making Merrick Garland's family rich. This is horrifying. It's also potentially illegal. According to the DOJ's own conflict of interest policy, it raises serious ethical issues. But of course it does. The DOJ rules require employees to seek official guidance before, quote, participating in any matter in which his or her impartiality could be questioned. Oh, That would include situations in which matters can, quote, affect the financial interests of a relative with whom the DOJ employee has a close relationship. That would probably include your daughter, Mary Garland. Did you do that? You can be assured that no one at the DOJ's National Security Division is investigating that question tonight. So I don't trust Tucker to represent this situation honestly. (laughs) But, like, if he's trying to make the argument that there's nepotism in Washington, then, like, Obviously, it's not like a profound observation. (laughs) Just to be clear, Merrick Garland didn't make it illegal to complain to a school board. He didn't 
make anything illegal. It was already illegal to issue threats against people's lives. Yeah. Um, it, you can complain all you want. Um, so th- this company, Panorama, that Merrick Garland's daughter is married to a guy who's involved in it. So what Panorama does, um, they, they don't they don't make their money providing critical race theory materials to schools, whatever that even entail. Yeah. Um, I, I thought we were done with the critical race theory talk. I thought. <laughs> yeah. So what Panorama is, um, it provides parents and teachers with surveys that collect data on students. So it was created by former Yale graduate students who started the company in effort to figure out the best way for schools to collect, and understand feedback from their students. Students, for example, are asked questions to determine how safe they feel at school, how much they trust their teachers, and how much potential they think they have. The company claims that by using its software, districts can see benefits such, in, such, benefits such as improved graduation rates, fewer behavior referrals, more time engaged in learning, and students building, quote, stronger supportive relationships with adults and peers. So they provide these surveys to everything from like how students feel about school they're like if they feel they're safe there it's kind of like gathering information on students well-being to improve the school environment one, one pretty talker, good like and that's what he was he, he was like did you know they're collecting psychometrics on your kids what is a psychometric this is horrifying um like he just doesn't it, it's it's a scary sounding word and that was all he needed it just means like how they're feeling yeah, like me- metrics on how kids are doing psychologically. <laughs> yeah. When Tucker says that they provide critical race theory materials, all that he's talking about is that Panorama offers an equity and inclusion survey. From their website, quote, today educational excellence means creating learning environments where every student feels safe, included, and empowered to achieve. Bringing this vision to life requires hearing from students, teachers, and staff to better understand the state of equity and inclusion at school. The Panorama Equity and Inclusion Survey provides schools and districts with a clear picture of how students, teachers, and staff are thinking and feeling about diversity, equity, and inclusion in school. The survey can, ha- survey can help schools and districts track progress of equity initiatives through the lens of students and staff, identify areas for celebration and improvement, inform professional development, and signal the importance of equity and inclusion to the community. So, this so is like- not critical race theory. <laughs> Yeah, this is just kind of the thing that every, pretty much every company does where they're like, yeah. we're committed to diversity and inclusion and they offer this survey to schools who want to signal the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's far from all they're doing and not how they're making their money. And the argument that this is a conflict of interest is silly. Because e- even if they were providing critical race theory materials, that's not what parents are actually mad about. They just think it is because they don't know what words mean because of people like Tucker. Yeah. So, um, this brings us to our final narrative that we're going to be talking about. Tucker wants to issue a bit of an apology. On last night's show, we did a segment about the Facebook whistleblower who testified on Capitol Hill yesterday. The whistleblower is a woman called Frances Haugen, and she testified that Facebook knows very well it is harming children with its products. Haugen released documents to this effect to the Wall Street Journal, proving that that's true. But what we didn't catch at the time, and we're sorry we didn't, we really try to catch things like this, is that Haugen is also pushing for Internet censorship in a very partisan way. Again, we should have caught that and told you about it. We figured something must be up because the media was treating her like a hero. They don't do that for people who believe in free speech. 
in a recent interview with 60 Minutes, Haugen explained that she sees her role as fighting, quote, misinformation. So th- this is interesting to me because this lady who, you know, was, was a hero for Tucker yesterday, now, because she said things about combating misinformation that uh, are red flags in his, in his lexicon, he needs to rewrite the story and cast her as a villain. And we should have known she was a villain because the mainstream media treated her like a hero. It should have been obvious. He's got such a victim complex. <laughs> yeah, this is all about persecution it, it, that yeah. isn't actually happening. Yeah. Um, and he, he, he brings on uh, Matt Walsh, fresh off a nice cigar dinner, to talk about the, how they should have caught this. Francis Haugen is actually bad. Now for reaction, Matt Walsh, who is someone we trust completely, host of the Matt Walsh Show. Matt, thanks so much for coming on. This is effectively a correction segment that we're doing now. Uh, I don't know how this got past us yesterday, and I'm a little bit embarrassed, but assess what you think is going on here, if you would. Well, I I think, first of all, a good general rule here is that when the media tells us about a whistleblower, the first hint that it's not a real whistleblower is that the media is telling us about it. Because we have to remember (laughs) that, you know, look, Facebook, big tech, Uh, The Democrat Party, the media, they're all part of the same system. And so if someone within that system has deep, dark, dirty secrets that they want to tell us, no one within the system is going to elevate and amplify that story. And that's why it and and so it's no surprise when you listen to the revelations that this person, this so-called whistleblower had to tell us about. One is that, yeah, social media is bad for kids and it is terrible for kids. But I tell you something, as a father... I'm not worried about Instagram affecting my daughter because I'm not giving a phone to my daughter. So I consider that something that I can take, take, take control of myself. But then the, the, the real focus is uh, all this stuff about misinformation, people right. being radicalized. No, it's, they're not worried about Facebook censoring free speech or stifling speech. That's the real problem. Their issue, and Francis Haugen's issue, is that they're not stifling speech enough. And you see why the, you see why the corporate media... Would, would have a lot of interest in this story because uh, they, they want to be the sole disseminators of, um, of information. And That's they see competition on, with, with conservatives and people on the right who use social media to speak to each other and get opinions out there. And that's what they want to put a stop to. Well, exactly. Facebook is power. You control the political content on Facebook and you control election outcomes, period. So that's what they want to do. And, and I wish we would had you on last night. I'm, again, embarrassed we kind of fell for it. Um, Matt Walsh, thanks a million. Appreciate it. Thank you. So for a moment, I want us to think about how dumb this is. <laughs> that we, we should have known she was bad because the media treated her like a hero. Matt Walsh said, your first clue that it's not a real whistleblower is if the media tells you it's a whistleblower. So does that mean then that what what she said about Facebook knowingly pushing harmful content to children wasn't true or that isn't valid then? And if, if it is still valid, then why did the media champion her in the first place? Why were they treating her like a hero? Because she wasn't blowing the whistle about censorship. The, 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 this is all very flimsy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my thought was, first of all, happy to see Matt Walsh. Haven't heard from that guy in a while. I see he has continued his steady diet of cigarettes. Um, um, but okay, this this very week, okay, Matt Walsh is is here to tell everyone that the media and like the elite are all 
like in cahoots and you can't trust the media if if something comes out that is salacious against them this very week the pandora papers were released by journalists so like that's a huge blow to the quote-unquote elites (laughs) um well to actual elites who are hiding their money in um offshore accounts and like they they found several people who are actually perpetrating this um which is a big deal and that completely goes against matt walsh's narrative here that like the media would never tell on its own class or whatever yeah i I don't know how he would phrase it but you know in their conception here why did we hear francis haugen's name in the first place then what was the point of this exercise to i I guess make fake allegations to be like this doesn't make any sense (laughs) this is a fascism thing right like the enemy is indescribably weak and stupid but also we have to band together to destroy them because they're so powerful and i'm I'm glad that you mentioned the pandora papers too because given tucker's stated disdain for elites and this oligarchic class you would think that might be a story he would talk about on his show yeah, I was expecting to hear about those today, actually. Yeah, funny how that never comes up. It's almost like Tucker uh, is a goalie for the elite. That's his. That's the role he plays in media. And when yep. he says that other people are protecting the powerful, he's actually projecting and accusing them of what he's doing. <laughs> Weird. Sort of like how the reason you're poor isn't because of an exploitative capitalist class, it's because of immigrants. You know, funny how that works. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, so um, that's all I had from this week. It's been a long one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, um, it's, so I'm, I'm glad that it's out in the open now that we're officially high priests of Fauciism. Um <laughs> I'm not afraid to admit it. I'm Fauciist and proud. <laughs> Tyler, what's our sworn enemy? Um, the devil himself, Ron Johnson, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, we'll be back next week. In the meantime, we've got a website. Uh, it's tuckeroutpod.com. Um, On Twitter. At Tuck It Out Pod. Yep. Um, join the Facebook group, Wokeristas. We're on Patreon. Thank you to and, all of our lovely patrons. Absolutely. And you can email the show at tuckitoutpod at gmail.com. We've gotten some really fun hate mail lately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, guys, okay. Okay. Seriously, if you're going to send hate mail, please put some effort in. It's been, it's been really sad, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. So like, far. <laughs> The low effort hate mail is the worst. Like the, the, there was one, <laughs> there was one that just said, "Amazing, you're not gay." I just the more I think about that one, the the better it gets for me. Like I know. he could just call us gay. It was it was like he. I'm assuming it's a it's a dude. Um, they like if they just wanted to make fun of us, they could just call us gay. It's it's like they actually listened to it and was like. Damn it, they're straight. I can't make fun of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's amazing you guys aren't gay. <laughs> uh, and like, and like, we're not, it, 
I mean, we're not both straight. Troy's mentioned on the show before that he's bi. So like they <laughs> if they actually listen to the show, they would have like more fodder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, my, my favorite is some of the ones that just like ob- obviously didn't listen like we have some apple reviews that seem to think the show is just a one guy oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, you'll have to send me those i, I didn't i didn't know we had <laughs> apple reviews <laughs> yeah i uh it, somebody posted about us in r slash trucker carlson so we got a bunch of bunch of negative reviews there um, cool all right that's that's how the game is played <laughs> what are you gonna yeah. do and also uh for those of you still listening, if you haven't yet, read up on the Pandora Papers. It's it's, it's important shit. Yeah, big moment. Big moment in, um, in uh, journalism and history. Yeah, people should really be talking about that more. But it, to the extent that anybody cared about it, it was for like two and a half seconds. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we, uh, it, we'll be back next week. Um, in the meantime, read about the Pandora Papers. Uh, join the cult of Fauciism and uh, send us creative hate mail. <laughs> and don't listen to Tucker Carlson. Troy will do it for you. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Buck up, it's going to get better. <laughs>